Uh, am I a bit audible? Uh, we can hear you fine. Yes, sir. Okay, no, I'm uh, apologies. I'm using my uh, my phone again. I still have a problem with the with the iPad. But uh, having said so, are there any apologies? Allow me because I know uh, I've got a serious challenge of a network here. I will then uh, have to balance with the take off the the video. Uh, are there any? Apologies, Ayanda. Uh, yes, Chair. Once more, good morning, everyone. We've got two apologies from Mr. Prima, Chair, and Mr. Mahaule. Those are the only apologies I received. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Chairperson. Thank you very much. Um, Ari, can you fly us the agenda? Sorry, Chair. Sorry, Chair. I, I think Mr. Mailem wants to say something. Before. Oh, Honorable Mailem. Yes, Chair. Thank you. Chair, uh, Mr. Lorimer is still out of the country at the moment. He will be back next week. Okay, no, no problem. Uh, can we go to... the agenda? If I may be allowed, this mic here from FRA. I've got an apology for my CEO, Mr. Regisibia who is out of the country. So uh, in his space, I've got uh, Mr. Sponelum Bata and myself from FRA. Thank you. Okay. Mm, being the case as it may, uh, the Yes, I see the welcoming and everything. You know, I'm not good at that. So we've got uh, SA or oh, Sapia, which is SAPIA um, briefings. It's a briefing. Um, please, let's try and stick to time. You can see why a bit many. Then there's SAOGA, there's L presentation by NFWA. Then there's SAPRA, which is SAPRA, and then um, FRA. Let's stick on the um, time given. I think I've done much better than uh, is proposed here. Uh, without any delay, can we give um, Oh, sorry, I'm talking to myself. I'm saying, Sapia, you can come in. You are allowed to introduce yourself, your delegation. In the main, what we are looking for, I must say this upfront, we are looking for 
within the sector industry where we are. We've got a crisis which was there prior the conflict in the in the east, that is via Russia Ukraine. But it was there, we have always been having the challenge of the fuel um, uh, hikes. So we we are here to get a sense as to what is the view or feeling of the industry and what kind of interventions that could be done uh, going forward. So that is in the main the intention and we know that uh, the majority of you are people who are affected about uh, all those uh, um, in the challenges of fuel heights. So can I give it to you and then uh, you will go according to what is on the agenda uh, in terms of the proposed agenda and then we will come as members of the committee at the end of the last presentation and uh, you will do the same when we ask questions. Unfortunately, we don't do question and answer arrangement. We just uh, have questions so that there could be maximum participation also by members of the committee. So can I give it to Sapia? You can also put an apology if there is someone who is not part of your delegation uh, who are supposed to be part of the delegation. I'm giving it to you, and then we will go to the next. Thank you very much. Okay. Good uh, morning, uh, Chair. I'm going to switch on the video just to introduce myself and uh, so that you can, have, you can have an idea who uh, is speaking. I hope you can see me and hear me. Um, yes, and I'll... All of the, I'm sure all of you will, those will follow it. It's, it's important. But we also understand sometimes that uh, video and um, the mic, sometimes they have a challenge as far as uh, network is concerned. That, that's okay, we understand. At least even others, just show your face, then you can go back to balancing for, 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 for the mic. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much, Chair, for accommodating uh, us. Um, I'll try my utmost best to stick to the allocated time, which is, I mean, uh, 30 minutes, and I'll try to wrap up before the end of that 30 minutes, if uh, it's, it's doable. Uh, just to introduce uh, uh, myself, my name is Abba Fani Chiflaro, uh, otherwise you can call me Fani, uh, chairperson. Um, I'm the executive director of the South African Petroleum Industry Association, SAPIA in short. I'm not alone here. I'm accompanied by a number of board members of uh, SAPIA. I've got the chairperson of uh, the, uh, the board of SAPIA, Mr. Shoni Pijem Dolo. Uh, I also have got uh, an alternative I mean, director uh, of SAPIA, which is, who is uh, Norms uh, Munilal. Then I also have got another director of SAPIA, who is uh, Mr. Pinda Vilakazi. And then I also have got another representative, I mean, from the board, Mr. Hamlet Murule. And then I've got another director from Sapia and uh, Mr. Oliver Naidu. Those are the people that, I mean, are accompanying myself. I'm not alone. 
I also have got, I mean, my colleague, Kevin, I mean, Bart, who's going to help me to drive the presentation. So, uh, Chairperson, thank you very much for inviting Sapia to come and um, uh, be part of uh, today's, I mean, discussions and um, to and the rest of your committee members. We thank you for this opportunity. So, Kevin, if we can just turn or uh, uh, start the slides, please. Oh, yeah, and that's going to give him a uh, co-hosting rights just, just now, Fanny. Oh, okay. Okay, maybe whilst we're doing that in the interest of time, let me get going um, because I do understand you've got the presentation. So just a bit about SAPIA. Um, SAPIA or the South African Petroleum Industrial Association represent the collective interest of uh, the South African petroleum industry. Uh, we focus mainly on the issues um, of common interest that ranges from refining, distribution, and marketing of petroleum products. And we'll also look at, I mean, like uh, the aspect that led to the promotion of industry, environmental and social economic progress. Uh, just a background to, uh, yeah, thank you, Kevin. Um, um, we have been invited by the chairperson of the uh, Portfolio Committee on Mineral Resources and Energy to brief the committee on our experiences relating to fuel price increases and uh, also to um, like talk about alternatives or any consideration in addressing the increases in fuel prices, really as per the introduction by the chairperson. So, I think we're gonna focus mainly on the issues that pertains to what is really regulated by, by the Minister of Mineral um, Resources and Energy, in particular petrol, because petrol is strictly regulated by the minister. Uh, what do I mean by strictly regulated? Um, it means you cannot discount the price that is fixed or set for a particular zone by the minister. That is how strict it gets when it comes to petrol. Obviously, like um, the, the chairperson has uh, already indicated why we are here. Uh, the concern is like uh, the impact of uh, high fuel prices or rising fuel prices, which has been like happening not only now at the beginning of the, of the crisis in Ukraine. This has been, I mean, unfolding for, 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 for a number of months now. So... And um, so like that is like the brief of today's meeting. So let's just move to the next slide, please. So I think the first point to make is that, I mean, as an industry, we are capable of operating in any environment regulated or not regulated. In this instance, in the case of South Africa, I mean, there is regulation of fuel prices, in particular petrol, LPG, or liquefied petroleum gas, and uh, um, illuminating paraffin. 
But as uh, the association, we support, I mean, a fair and transparent regulatory pricing system. And we do believe that for any system to remain robust and relevant, it requires to be periodically reviews and it requires also stronger oversight. So this is the case, I mean, in terms of the key parameters of regulations, when we look at I mean, what is regulated in terms of petrol price in South Africa and the liquefied petroleum gas, and um, the key parameters such as a PFP, the magisterial district zone and regulatory accounting system, which really like are uh, used to set, I mean, the margins that are permitted or allowable in terms of like uh, the petrol price and the LPG and paraffin. Um, like they've got their own specific, I mean, methodologies that are used. And all these, I mean, they require like, I mean, strict, I mean, regulation by the government through rules that are gazetted. So in this presentation, like as I've indicated, I mean, I'll go a little bit to other like products such as I mean LPG and uh, illuminating paraffin, which I will I mean refer to as IP from time to time. Let's move to the next slide, please. So let's look at petrol, which is like um, uh, I'm gonna move quite quick because I know you've got a, a background on some of these things because they were presentation in. Uh, in the past by the DMRE, but uh, I, I will move very quickly, just um, in, in the, uh, I'll consider this to be introductory slides. But if we look at the petrol price, which uh, I said is strictly regulated, it means you cannot discount uh, on the price that is fixed by the minister. But if you just look at the key elements, uh, the uh, you see you've got the first part on the right-hand side, the the RAS system. This is really the system that's used to set the margin for the wholesale, secondary storage, secondary distribution, and retail margin. You can see they're listed on the left. Then we summarize there. And um, I'm going to go a little bit more into detail in the next slides about like this um, uh, regulatory accounting system. And then below the RAS, I mean, we've got another element which is strictly regulated as well by the by the minister in terms of Petroleum Products Act, which is the aspects relating to the zone differential. This is, uh, I'll refer from time to time as MDZ. So this is really um, the regulation or the recovery of cost, transportation cost, cost, both pipeline and road cost that are adjusted annually around April. In other words, in the next price adjustment, this adjustment will be made on the zone differential. The third aspect, I'll go a little bit more just to give you like a little bit more like I mean a flavor of view on this MTZ. Uh, and then there are levies which you all know by now because you have had I mean discussion and briefing from the DMRE and National Treasury, I think a few days ago. So this really is the biggest chunk of, well, it's not the biggest, it's the second biggest chunk after BFP, which will be your levies, fuel levy, customs and excise duty, road extend fund, uh, and all of those, I mean, to some extent, you can say carbon tax is also embedded in the fuel levy there. 
all those like will be in the domain of government, but they are adjusted through the budgeting process, I mean, through the Minister of Finance in his budget vote. Then you will have some smaller, I mean, uh, items, which is like the petroleum, I mean, uh, products levy. This allows for the recovery of the of the charges um, that um, the 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 companies like I mean uh, pay to 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 for for the for the cost of maintaining the petroleum pipelines industry within the NESA structure NESA like administration structure. So that is recoverable through that levy, and then you will have the slate levy mechanism which is really uh, to finance the cumulative under recoveries accrued by the oil industry. This is a very uh, key critical aspect as far as like the oil uh, industry is concerned, because in these difficult times, this is what it helps us to continue to, to be in business. Otherwise, if this was not in place, will probably like uh, not be I mean, talking here today. I mean, because this helps to balance the entire regulatory system. Then finally, the biggest portion would be the BFP. I'll like go a little bit quickly in all of this uh, in the next coming uh, few slides. Uh, let's uh, move. Thank you very much, Kevin. So I've talked about I mean, the RAS system, the regulatory accounting system. This is the system that the minister uh, of mineral resources and energy uses, I mean, in order to approve the various ring fence, I mean, margins and all those activities that I talked about, wholesale, retail margin, distribution, cost, and uh, the recovery thereof. So this is like, I mean, done in a systemic, systemic way, which is like transparent to all the players and participants and um, so that, I mean, everybody understand how the regulator arrives at the decision. And the system itself, it allow what cost um, could be recovered and the, the return that, um, I mean, uh, can be earned on each and every ring fence activities. So it used like accounting model, the CAPM, capital asset pricing model, in order to arrive at the required margin for each I mean, aspect. Together, this they will form each like margin for each I mean, uh, ring fence activities. These are adjusted, I mean, um, around like uh, December every year. So this, uh, like, if you look at the wholesale, like, sort of, I mean, margin, this will like bring the petrol wholesale margin to something like forty-five cents, which I have showed you earlier on. And uh, I think from our uh, perspective, we believe that rice, uh, uh, the regulatory accounting system uh, provides the right I mean, degree of clarity, certainty, and consistency for the future. In other words, it gives that I mean, uh, sort of I mean, certainty in terms of how we're going to recover costs and how we're going to earn margin as wholesalers I mean, in this industry. So it, it goes, therefore, that I mean, if there were to be any changes, I mean, SAPIA will expect, I mean, that there would be a thorough consultation um, before any changes are implemented as far as the regulatory accounting system. As it was done when the system was introduced, there was a thorough study that was commissioned by then Department of Energy. Uh, and um, 
I think it was, yeah, Department of Energy. And uh, that, I mean, go through a lot of consultation because it's quite detailed and uh, it requires everybody to give input. Uh, next, please. Then I said I'm going to talk a little bit about Magistral District Zone, which allows the recovery of uh, transportation cost, cost uh, both I mean, the pipeline and road cost. I mean, um, there's very little in terms of petrol that uh, gets moved by, by rail. Uh, in most instances, I mean, rail, like tariff, I mean, don't even, I mean, apply it. So we are so dependent, I mean, on the pipeline, which will move product, I mean, especially for the inland market and the tariffs of the pipeline are set by NASA. And uh, NASA, like, I mean, once has decided, the minister will then decide, I mean, um, take a decision on whether to include that. But the practice has always been that once NASA is approved, the minister uh, will then, I mean, include those costs in the, in the MDZ for adjustment in April. The other component, because a lot of products they are moved by, by road, um, so we've got an independent like body, the Road Freight Association, which produces I mean, the vehicle cost schedule, which then are used by the, the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy to work out what is the applicable applicable like uh, uh, tr um, transport costs that need to be adjusted in April of each year. So the actual pricing, I mean, framework, it works on a zoning system. The country split into zones are approximately, like I'll say, like um, over 50, let's say about 50 uh, zones, pricing zones. These zones are like then split the entire country and then the pre price of petrol will be fixed per each zone and you cannot charge anything less or anything more. You have to charge what, charge what the minister is gazetted on monthly basis for that particular zone. So as I've indicated, this is going to be adjusted or it gets adjusted every April. So the good news, I saw that NASA, I mean, approved far less than what was requested for, which means it's going to be a little bit like less than what we were anticipating based on the application. But just like the RAS, this is quite a very significant, I mean, portion of the regulatory uh, pricing system. So if any changes are to be made, uh, it, it goes without saying that, I mean, we'll need them I mean, to have, I mean, like a factual like study that backs up what needs to change so that it does not mess up with the system itself, the way it, it works today. So a work on this review started, uh, and uh, I think we'll just like, uh, uh, like uh, encourage the department um, to fast track, I mean, its conclusion, I mean, so that, I mean, we can see what reviews are necessary or what changes are supposed to be implemented, if any. Next, fuel levy, road extent fund, and other levies. I think there's been so much discussion around this um, by when the national treasury was here and the department and uh, also i had some comments i mean from both minister of uh, finance and minister of uh, mineral resources and energy i think two days back on this topic again again this is an issue that's in the domain of government government decide like how much tax they want to levy and uh, uh, i think i mean 
the fuel levy is the second biggest portion in the price petrol price structure, and uh, the only significant area where relief is immediately possible. Again, this is like up to government how it wants to go about it, because anything that happens to that, uh, like if there is any intervention, it will means there has to be like um, another source of funding. I mean, because this is a significant chunk of of the contribution to the national budget. Let's move. So this is some history which you probably like pretty much are aware that I mean, what happens is that I mean, the higher the fuel prices like where we are now, it means the taxes uh, percentage, it will be lower uh, because these taxes are not linked to monthly movement of prices. They are fixed once in a year. So it means now in an era where the prices are above 20 uh, rand per liter, it means you will see the percentage contribution of the fuel taxes as much as they've grown, uh, uh, they've increased over a number of years, you will see the percentage, it gets smaller once I mean, the, the, the prices are increasing uh, at a rate at which they are increasing now. But if you go here, years earlier on, you will have noticed that, I mean, the levies, I mean, like, were a little bit lower because even the prices themselves, I'm saying lower in comparison of the prevailing price of that of that particular point in time. So that's, like, really what happens. But whatever that happens, the taxes worldwide in any sort of, I mean, uh, um, country, you will see that there will always be the, the biggest, the second biggest portion of the price structure. Um, I think um, our levies, the comment that we can just make is that, I mean, our levy are not really uh, that exorbitant I mean, by world standards. Yes, if you probably compare to our neighboring countries, they appear to be higher. That is precisely the reason why you find that, I mean, fuel in Botswana will be cheaper than what you'll be paying in South Africa. Uh, next slide, please. Self-adjusting slave mechanism. Several years back ago, we were in a similar situation like what we are facing now, where the prices were like, I mean, pretty much, I mean, like uh, rising at a rapid pace in such a way that it makes it so difficult even for the oil companies I mean, to remain in business. And um, the then Department of uh, Minerals and Energy, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think it was before the department, it was before the Department of Energy. Then look at what it will be the best way of for like um, making sure that I mean the rise, rapid rising prices do not threaten like I mean the secret of supply, because if prices rises to a point where there's a disconnect of what the government is already regulating. Um, or, or using to set the basic fuel price. It means, therefore, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. It becomes like uh, not possible or very difficult for the companies to buy products at the international market. So this uh, mechanism, in other words, it works on the basis that, I mean, uh, 
if the prices like I mean are like I mean like not in a like a rapid increasing I mean uh, mode like what we have now, the slate can be like positive. When it's positive, that benefit it get passed on to the motorist. But the slate can also be negative, so it goes both ways. Um, if we look at like what is like uh, uh, published by the DMRE, like uh, by end of February, we see that the cumulative annual recovery is standing at five billion. Uh, that's why you see the slate levy was uh, adjusted. I mean, uh, to compensate for that um, under recovery, which is like I mean, really like uh, the cost that is being carried by all companies. Uh, and um, we do anticipate this because, I mean, the forecast, I mean, is that, I mean, the petrol price is going to be increasing by quite a significant portion. We anticipate this slate levy, I mean, the slate balance to increase significantly in the month uh, of March, which is ending like next week. So it will probably add another like what? Well, I'll say three billion. So depending on what happened, because the mechanism it work on the basis of compensating when there's under and over recovery, there will probably be some compensation in between. But the slate end of uh, of March, it will probably still be sitting at above seven billion after every administration, after administrative processes have been done. So without this levy, as I've indicated above companies will experience severe negative cash flows, which is going to limit the ability to purchase crude and imports. Obviously, once we reach that process, it means it will start to threaten the security of supply. This was, uh, is, is a reality right now in the, situ- in the current I mean, situation where it is becoming very difficult because the rapid rising fuel prices where there is a serious disconnect between what is regulated in terms of BFP. But uh, I think what really is important is to make sure that we manage what we have in place in a much tighter way according to the rules to make sure that we don't reach a point where we are unable even to commit to buy products in the international market because we'll know that we are going to lose money right from the start when we commit to that transaction. Let's move to the next slide, please. Uh, okay, BFP. I think I've talked uh, quite a bit about the BFP. I would like to skip because I'm checking my time a little bit. I, I mean, uh, if we can just, I mean, I just well, the point I want to make is that the BFP was implemented several years ago, uh, in 2003 to be precise. The BFP or the basic fuel price represent the realistic market-related cost of importing a substantial portion of South Africa liquid fuels requirements. There is a misconception that people think that the BFP, it allows for the actual recovery of the importation cost. It does not do that. It is not a true import parity. It does not model the cost of full importation of South African requirements. So it is a methodology which is used to arrive at what I would say a deemed BFP by the government. So that's the most important part. Um, I mean, part we need to remember always when we talk about BFP. So it represents what it will uh, cost 
uh, what would be the cost cost of uh, buying product from the international market and eventually land it in our ports in South Africa? That's what it does. Uh, next slide, Kevin. So the this uh, uh, has been in place for a long time. I think the point I mean that um, I would like to make here is that I mean the PFP itself. Uh, it does not um, work to protect. I mean, there's a like, misconception that because of BFP, somehow we are protected from the outside, like, I mean, like uh, um, factors like the rapid rising, I mean, uh, fuel prices. It does not do that. All it does, it allows us at least to be competitive, to work in line with what will ideally be happening in other parts of the world because the oil industry is a global industry. It does not, uh, um, um, the, the oil refiners are not overcompensated because, because of, uh, uh, of BFP. Um, it basically allows them to be competitive and to, to be priced in turn in line with the market and sort of for, parameters. Uh, I think the BFP is long, I mean, the, the review of BFP is long um, overdue. I mean, the work has started to review the BFP and it remains unfinished. I think we need to fast track the work that has been started by the DMRE to see like where, what are the necessary changes that are required because a lot of things have changed. I know the uh, the the discussion document was talking about the changing of uh, reference, I mean, markets and all those kind of things. A lot of things have, like, are even, like, uh, changing right now, I mean, depending on the dynamics that we're seeing in the market. So probably, like, I mean, the study that has been started, it might need to be updated um, because it might be out of sync of what is happening today. Uh, next slide, please. <coughs> Uh, yeah, I've talked about the need to relook into the BFP elements, all of them. Not we should not be selective. We need to look all of them. And um, I think the point that I need to make is that I mean, Sapia does not control the BFP, and uh, all its price elements that sits in it are not. I mean, like something that is uh, controlled by us. The BFP is pretty much the domain of DMRE. But the DMRE as well has got no control over all those parameters that are in the BFP because they are outside, I mean, um, our, our country. Uh, next slide, Kevin. Uh, I think the chair has dealt with this issue in terms of like um, their concern and what um, has been happening in terms of the uh, recent price increase. Uh, that is not a thing that just happened now. It has been coming. We have been seeing it. I would like to skip this slide, Kevin. Yes, I want to talk to this point because it's one of the, um, uh, the request from the chairperson uh, or the committee that we need to all, they will want us also to talk about alternatives or consideration in addressing increases in fuel prices. I mean, we look at this to um, see like what really can one do, what is possible, what is not possible. So 
as I've indicated, if you look at the like uh, all the stuff that are regulated or in the domain of DMRE or that are regulated by the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy through the RAS mechanism, I mean, all those are subjected to a methodology. There is a set methodology. So if you want to do anything, you have to review those methodology because in the main, they are based on accounting principles. So you need to look at like your assumption that you had in the first instance. Have they changed? If they have changed, what is that you are getting? And the review, it's unfortunately does not guarantee you that you're gonna get an I mean, increase or decrease. Because sometimes you'll find that the review, like what it confirms is that, I mean, you are still um, like, I mean, doing it in the correct way. You are still relevant to what is happening, but you will need to review, I mean, like have a study before you can change some of these things. So those are the things that which I agree with what the Minister of Finance said, that those are the things you must consider to be medium to long-term issues because you're going to need to do the, the study. But when it comes to levies, it's in the domain of government that you can do like, I mean, like immediate. It depends on your appetite. Slate levy is governed also by the rules. So if there's any changes there, again, you want to need to do, go through a consultation. Generally, the government will consult for like 60 days on these issues. So it's not something that you can immediately change. You still need to consult and get comments. BFP, same story. I've talked about BFP, the study that uh, the DMRA, the proposed discussion or changes or the discussion document. Again, they started it the right way, discussion document, and this is what we're proposing. We want to hear comments. You're going to need to go through that process if you are changing this thing because you need to provide that certainty. Uh, just move on uh, quickly, Kevin. Yeah, I just want to quickly talk about LPG and illuminating paraffin. I'm getting close to wrap up, I mean, uh, Chair. Both the uh, liquefied petroleum gas and illuminating paraffin are regulated uh, by setting a maximum retail price, which is gazetted by the minister, but it's not a strict regulation like petrol. Remember, I kept on saying petrol is strictly regulated. In this case, the minister is setting the maximum price retail price. In other words, uh, a retailer or person who's selling these products, they are not compelled to sell at the maximum retail price. They can discount, unlike petrol, you can't do that. And uh, like what we have noticed with the, um, with the LPG is that, I mean, recently the, the, the reference, I mean, uh, market, I mean, in the case of LPG, the Saudi contract price um, for March contract pricing, it's sitting at uh, like an eight-year high. So that is why if you look at what is happening, you're going to see that it means if you focus on what is going to be the changes in the LPG, it will follow other products. It will be quite high on that basis because the Saudi CP itself is like at an eight-year high. So, which is not that I mean, uh, uh, strange because it's like following what we are seeing in the market for other products as well. So there are so many local components when it comes to LPG as well that form part and parcel of the maximum retail price. And the LPG has got uh, also a VAT push. That's the only product that is regulated by DMRE that has got a VAT portion. The rest 
well, I mean, VAT, by VAT, I mean at 15%, levable at 15%. But the other, like, products, like the paraffin, like petrol, you don't have VAT. There's no VAT there. So it means for LPG, if you are looking for a relief, the only option that you have, if you are looking for something that's immediate, if you are not looking at uh, doing the other reviews on other studies, the other, the immediate thing will be the consideration on whether you want to waive them I mean, in VET um, or zero rate, I mean, VET. So that could be another, I mean, benefit. The challenge you're going to have, well, there's a, a challenge, I mean, because illuminated paraffin, which has got no VET, it creates another challenge if you are looking for immediate, like, sort of for sort of relief, because this is a product which is generally used by the uh, poorest of the poor in our communities. And uh, it is one of the product, if we are going to do something, if there's some relief, we cannot have a relief on petrol or other petroleum products and we forget, I mean, the element in paraffin. But we're going to need to think very hard on how we're going to go about doing that because there is no... All those, I mean, taxes that I talked about earlier on, there is no VAT. So you need to come up with something that's very special for that, and it's required. And that a mechanism, it cannot be for everybody who's buying paraffin. It has to be directed at poor consumers. Uh, next slide, Kevin. So just to summarize, Chair, uh, I think um, the liquid fuels, I mean, Price control covers the entire value chain from the refinery and imports. The BFP, as I've indicated, it reflects the realistic cost of substantial imports into South Africa. And the allowable margins, I mean, uh, in the supply chain post-refinery or imports are arrived at using the approved methodology by the DMRE. Uh, let's move to the next slide. The slate levy mechanism, as I've indicated, is very critical, I mean, to finance the under-recoveries as a consequence of BFP pricing system. Uh, if that it does not work properly, we're going to run into problems, I mean, as like um, oil companies as we're already experiencing right now because of the disconnect between the two. We need, uh, we think short-term price relief for LPG consumers has a potential of lowering the or waiving the VAT. Uh, there are no fuel levies, road exit fund is on a fund on LPG. On IP, we're going to need to think very creatively, like maybe what we did with COVID, um, similar mechanism, or either coupons. We're going to need to think very creatively there because it's not that straightforward. And um, I think if we want to do this properly, because it's not a uh, development that just started yesterday. We need to look at the entire system because it, this system it's a, works as a whole. If you just look at one aspect, the whole system are not working I mean, properly. You cannot have to look at everything, uh, including petrol and diesel and other products as well. Uh, the next slide, Kevin. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, thank you very much, Sophia. Uh, who's next, Eric? 
Ah, we got you. Must come in. Good, uh, good day, ladies and gentlemen, honourable chair. Thank you for the opportunity to present uh, this morning. Uh, can I share my screen? Uh, my name is Adrian Stradon, and I'm heading up the South African Oil and Gas Alliance. Uh, thank you for again for the opportunity. Uh, the presentation will be done by uh, Craig Morkel, who is the chair of our gas economy uh, leadership team. So uh, he's going to be presenting on indigenous oil and gas as a potential solution to high fuel prices. And uh, can you see my screen? Yes, uh, yes, we can. Yes, we yes. can. Thank you. Excellent. I just have to go on to slideshow mode uh, so that, yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just briefly, I'm going, my job is to briefly tell you something about the South African Oil and Gas Alliance. We have been in existence for uh, decades. Uh, so, our vision is to be the foremost oil and gas and energy industry body in South Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, Africa, and beyond. So that's where we're looking towards in the future. Uh, the focus uh, is uh, reaching more than 5,000 industry stakeholders. We certainly have that kind of reach. Uh, we are a member membership organization uh, an industry body doing networking, outbound and inbound trade missions, advocacy and lobbying, industry intelligence gathering, capacity building, skills development, supplier and enterprise development. And then we are also an accredited joint action group, JAG, with the DTIC. So, Sahoga is functioning under a board of directors. Uh, currently, I'm happy to announce that the board is 51% uh, black. Uh, so, that certainly uh, shows the transformation agenda that we have. Uh, we have several leadership teams focusing on uh, the gas economy. Uh, where Craig is the chair. We have uh, a port cluster leadership team, a shale gas leadership team, marine energy and capacity building. We are busy shaping that one. And then we're also starting to speak uh, with onshore explorers. And we have a discussion group that uh, we have started with. Um, so we uh, really are a bridge as an industry association uh, with between industry and government. And we've been actively engaged and involved in Operation Pakisa and the ocean's economy uh, in terms of the master planning, where we played a, we are playing a leading role, South African gas master plan, we have uh, responded and, and we consult with industry 
and uh, bring the industry perspective and the industry uh, thoughts to the table uh, and, and to government. The Gas Act Amendment Bill and several others. Uh, we will also be uh, looking at upstream petroleum resources development bill. We have made input already, but we continue to look at uh, some of the developments there, gas to power program, um, and then repurposing from coal to gas. So you can see that we are an active uh, industry association uh, and with a role to play uh, here. So without any further ado, uh, now that we've introduced uh, the South African Oil and Gas Alliance, um, I'm going to give over to Mr. Craig Morkel for the presentation. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable Chair, for the invitation for Saoga to participate in this important discussion. Uh, greetings also to present uh, honorable members of this uh, esteemed portfolio committee, including uh, uh, some former colleagues, uh, as I have been a member of this committee more than 10 years ago for a period of time. It feels like I'm revisiting my high school or university as an ex-student right now. Uh, Chair, the, the presentation uh, that I will do now covers various uh, topics uh, that can be categorized into geopolitical context, the South African policy context, uh, and then summary solution proposal to the key question on how we could possibly utilize indigenous oil and gas to reduce high fuel prices as we experience now. I need to emphasize that what we are proposing here is not a short-term solution, but is something that is more medium to long-term. Um, as the previous presenter uh, and yourself, Chair, have indicated, this is not a new challenge. High prices have been with us before for various reasons. So we need to take a long-term view on these matters and ensure that somehow we don't fall into the situation we uh, have fallen into now with high fuel prices. Uh, the last section of my presentation will deal with uh, the key question of whether or not we actually have oil and gas in South Africa worth exploiting. Uh, and that will be the last section. Next slide, please, Adrian. Uh, Adrian, uh, the, the next slide, please. Somehow I have not uh, been given the right to, oh. to, to move the slide. Uh, by s I, I don't seem to have to be able to move the slide. So, okay, oh here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you moved it up. Uh, could you move it down, uh, please, Adrian? Thank you. There, there we go. go. Sorry. Uh, so this is the first slide on the geopolitical context. Um, we have seen global conflicts, um, uh, regional conflicts, that have an impact on us locally. Um, this is also often referred to as the resource curse. It often is um, local conflict that also uh, creates local impacts on, on um, quality of life, uh, poverty, inequality, and um, unemployment, uh, including the cost of energy. We've seen this historically as early as the 1970s, 
when OPEC turned the taps closed on production, resulting in the fuel price hike that uh, affected um, all economies globally. We've seen what conflict in Iraq has done to uh, uh, and the impact on, on, on fuel prices, energy prices. We've seen this uh, as a result of the conflict um, in, in Iran. Uh, we've now seen it recently uh, with Ukraine again. Um, and we've also seen it fairly recently in Mozambique, in the northern province of Cabo Delgado. These are just examples of how conflict does, in fact, impact uh, energy prices. Uh, but these are not, conflicts are not the only factors that uh, influence energy prices. Geopolitically, we've, uh, as, as South Africa, through our government, have participated in the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change to deal with uh, global warming. Uh, through that convention, we have agreed to uh, reduce our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050 and committed to that in our nationally determined contributions tabled at COP26 in October last year. Uh, we, under Article uh, 9 of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, there is a provision made for just energy transition finance, which effectively is based on the concept of restorative justice that ultimately says that because developed economies industrialized on the back of resources that then polluted the atmosphere, they have a historical debt to pay to those economies uh, and future generations uh, by financial means to support mitigation and adaptation projects to, to, to reduce uh, emissions to a net zero by, by 2050. This is where the 8.5 billion US dollar number comes from that pledges would be made under Article 9. And this becomes important in how we then achieve not only uh, the uh, just energy transition, but how uh, such energy transition could deal with energy poverty, including energy prices going forward. We are also aware of the uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals, 17 of them, in fact, and one can categorize them under what's referred to as the five Ps. Uh, the planet, people, prosperity, peace, and partnership. And here I'd like to emphasize that these are not mutually exclusive goals. They are complementary goals, each of them uh, an imperative of their own, and certainly not one being more important than the other. We need all five Ps to be dealt with, all 17 sustainable development goals to, to deal with um, the challenges of uh, unemployment, inequality, and uh, uh, poverty globally. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Adrian, uh, next slide, please. Right. So here we have, uh, Adrian, sorry, I'm missing something. There we go. Uh, uh, next one. Yes. 
So uh, also uh, within the geopolitical context, there are certain market forces that are beyond our control and some of them that are potentially within our control. We subscribe to fair trade and that requires willing sellers and willing buyers, including of energy products such as fuel. Uh, fuel is based, as we heard from the um, previous speaker, ultimately on index pricing of crude oil. And then when it arrives here, you heard the presentation on the basic fuel price, the uh, RAS system, the, the magisterial zoning system. But ultimately, it's based on index pricing that creates, a, that is the price making mechanism, ultimately. If you cannot deal with it at source, you cannot deal with it downstream, uh, and, and one needs to try and deal with this close to, as close to source as possible. Ultimately, we are price takers of energy products that are denominated in US dollars. And this then impacts our level of energy security, and the security of supply then also uh, is, a, is a factor where there is scarcity or non-supply, uh, we are in trouble. Uh, scarcity determines price ultimately. What we often see in the global south is that technology and fuel has to be imported from the global north. This is often accompanied by finance that taxpayers and end users in the global south then pay for and that capital ultimately is repatriated back to the global north. This has been the historical pattern. Moving on to the South African policy context, we have the South African constitution that defines in section 24 what sustainable development actually is. It is attempting through that provision in our constitution to balance and harmonize the imperatives of the environment and development, not one or the other. Section 217 deals with procurement, in particular value for money, and its component principles, affordability, risk, and socioeconomic benefits. Section 217 does not deal with lease cost only. The Public Finance Management Act then details that further, um, uh, amongst other things that the PFMA deals with. The Preferential Procurement Policy Framework Act effectively deals with lease cost and socioeconomic as requirements in procurement with uh, evaluation uh, of competitive bids being based 90% on price, 10% on socioeconomic uh, considerations. Next slide, please. Uh, also within the, uh, the, the SA policy context, we have the energy white paper that uh, uh, strives for universal service and access to energy. Uh, it requires that we consider uh, how we would achieve reliable, clean and affordable energy. And it looks at in integrated energy planning, not just of electricity, but all forms of energy, including liquid and other fuels. The Energy Act then uh, proposes that there must be um, an integrated energy plan that covers all forms of energy, including fossil fuels, whether it be solid, liquid, or gas, uh, biofuels um, as part of renewable energies, including the blending of biofuels with fossil fuels, and then uh, electricity supply 
including the various technologies that make up the energy mix uh, of, of electricity. Next slide, please. We also have the Upstream Petroleum Resources Development Bill. Um, it's not clear whether the final um, uh, piece of legislation will transform um, our upstream regulatory regime from a and fiscal regime from a royalty tax or uh, to a production sharing scheme or whether it could be a hybrid with elements of both going forward. Uh, the ultimate principle is that uh, cost plus margin must be commensurate with risk and we hope that that is ultimately reflected in the uh, uh, upstream petroleum legislation. The landed price of oil and gas imports might not be uh, relevant to the upstream uh, petroleum resource development bill, but we need to understand at this stage that fuel imports uh, and their pricing is quite volatile due to index price uh, fluctuations, both spot and contract. And I'll unpack that later on in question time if anyone needs to. Um, and also that the RAND dollar exchange rate uh, is unpredictable and therefore also fluctuates co contributing to that volatility. Offshore in indigenous oil and gas, uh, such as Brawlpada, Leipat and elsewhere, uh, those input costs are uh, estimated at approximately 70% in US dollars. The, the input costs are 70% US dollars. Onshore indigenous oil and gas, uh, uh, oil and gas those input costs are approximately 70% denominated in RAND. This becomes very important later on for our proposal. Next slide, please. The Petroleum Products Act, um, which uh, the previous presenter from SAPIA covered extensively, uh, the petroleum product pricing methodology. Um, we, we're not going to go into detail on BFP and all of the elements of that, but we need to ask ourselves the question whether the different types of petroleum products with uh, different uh, feedstocks will need to be priced differently or have a different methodology going forward. Uh, this covers then uh, refined petroleum product imports, fossil crude oil that uh, would be refined locally, assuming that we you know, uh, deal with our refining capacity. There will be bio-crude from biofuel producers that are then uh, refined locally. Would that be treated differently once the biofuel strategy and uh, implementation strategy is finalized? We are also seeing natural gas as a feedstock for refining, uh, whether it be gas that is imported as LNG, regional pipe gas via the Ramco pipeline and elsewhere, potentially from Namibia. And indigenous gas offshore and onshore um, would also potentially be refined into liquid fuels going forward. These input costs for various types of feedstock may require slightly different pricing methodologies that may need a review. We've heard about hydrogen. Hydrogen also can be converted into sustainable aviation and maritime fuels as liquid fuels would that then also require a slightly different pricing methodology going forward? The roles of NERSA and DMRE with regards to licensing 
and these pricing methodologies would also need to be factored into these uh, new considerations. Next slide, please. We are aware that the Electricity Regulation Act uh, is going through an amendment process. It does uh, set the, the uh, requirements for an integrated resource plan. We uh, have the second iteration of the RP dated uh, 2019, uh, which is effectively uh, based on input data uh, uh, sourced in 2016. The energy mix uh, therefore includes solar, wind, gas, nuclear, coal, storage, and uh, shortfall in capacity. The next IRP update, um, it needs to be clarified whether that would be handled by NEDLAC or the Presidential Climate Commission as social compacting with industry uh, and other interest and affected parties is important. It's not clear whether it would follow the NEDLAC process or the PCC process going forward. Of course, DMRE is understood uh, will still do policy adjustment uh, at the end of that process. As mentioned earlier on, there is a clear difference between lease cost only versus value for money, uh, as defined in uh, Section 217 of the SA Constitution and the PFMA. This then is something that must be taken into account when the next iteration of the, uh, uh, the RP is considered. Should it be put together purely on lease cost, or should one consider not only price, but socioeconomic contributions and the risk of non-supply, right? Uh, therefore, there may need to be a review as proposed in the amendment bill of the Electricity Regulation Act. Uh, there may need to be a review of the various roles of NERSA and DOMRE uh, to consider these uh, alternative options. Go, moving ahead. So in summary, the solution being proposed here uh, is that noting that the 70% of onshore indigenous oil and gas uh, input costs are denominated in ZAR, in RAND, it can and should therefore be sold in uh, RAND by applying the basic pricing principle of cost plus margin should be commensurate with risk um, for all public goods, especially energy goods. The Upstream Petroleum Resources Development Bill presents us with the opportunity to set aside a portion of indigenous oil and gas production as a strategic national reserve from which derivative products, liquid fuels and gas, should be sold in RAND. The balance of the local production that is not part of the strategic national reserve could then be sold at the highest price, uh, uh, invariably an index price, locally and or abroad. That is the fundamental proposal we're making. It's not a short-term solution. It is a medium to long-term solution, but I need to add right now, if there was an order for LNG, LNG could be imported within a matter of weeks or months uh, in various manners and form. Next slide, please, Adrian. So we need to ask whether South Africa in fact does have adequate oil and gas. 
Now, uh, the Portfolio Committee would know that one of the Portfolio Committee organizations that the portfolio organizations that it has oversight over is the Petroleum Agency of South Africa. That is the regulator and the holder of geological data that is produced by indigenous upstream rights holders. That geological data that is available would strongly suggest that there is, in fact, oil and gas available. The, the data is not a thumbsuck. It's not someone creating the impression that they may have gas and therefore attract high-risk investment. The data is verified by independent verification agencies. And many of these companies being listed entities on various stock exchanges must meet the requirements of ethical financial reporting so they cannot lie about their, their geological data. Based on recent reports of the deal between Renogen and uh, a local onshore indigenous gas producer and its client Ivano, a mining company, it is clear that there is gas and that it is priced correctly and that it's adequate for a large mining operation such as Ivano to meet its energy requirements. In addition to gas, it will also use solar PV at that mine. Now, there are similar discoveries by other upstream rights holders, which could also uh, be available to us in the medium term. When I say medium term, in terms of our public finance process, medium term being the next three years. Three to five years, we should know for sure how much gas we have, because there would hopefully have been enough exploration wells drilled to determine the full extent. But there is gas, and that gas can be exploited uh, sooner than we think. That would then be gas that can substitute the need to import fuels, whether refined product or crude, going forward. Adrian, thank you very much. Chair, thank you and honorable members for the opportunity. We look forward to your questions during question time. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, the next one, Ari. The Liquid Fuels Wholesalers Association, Chair. Allowed. Good morning, Mr. Chair. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It is hugely appreciated. My name is Peter Morgan. I'm the director of the Liquid Fuels Wholesalers Association. I'm joined today by our chairman, Mr. Dixon Sunderland, and a number of other members of our management team. They're all specialists in their own regard, and, and I've asked them to join us today so they can assist me with answering questions. Uh, I hope my presentation is visible.
Not yet, Peter. Uh, it's, I'm clicking on it. It, it should be coming on the screen at any moment. Uh, is it visible now? Not yet. It's on. It's on my screen as, as if it's been shared. Mr. Kotzer, can you see it? No, sir. My, my video is still on, is that correct? Yes. Is, is the sharing function on, Mr. Kotsa? You have co-hosting rights, yes. So I am now clicking on my presentation and it's not coming through. No, but you must look. Did you open the document? Yes, it's open. The document open. It's open. It's open. Click the share button. Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. It should pop up there in that box, and then you click on it, and then share. Ah, uh, that's what I'm doing wrong. Thank you for that. Sure. Visible now? Right, I hope it's visible by now. Thank you for the assistance. Nothing yet. Nothing there yet. We go. There we go. There we go. We got it. Okay, wonderful. <clears throat> the, the presentation today, I will very briefly introduce you to the LSWA. I'm going to spend some five to ten minutes on, on an executive summary to, to drill down further into the, the liquid fuels industry in South Africa and, and the role that independent wholesalers play. And then I will address our experiences relating to the fuel price increases and the alternatives and the considerations in addressing the increases in fuel prices. The association is an association not for gain. The strategic management of the affairs of the Liquid Fuels Wholesalers Association is vested in a management team that is made up of members. The LFWA is a membership-driven and funded association one of the roles of the LFWA is to facilitate understanding between stakeholders and independent wholesalers and to share the challenges and offer solutions. We agreed on day one that when we had our discussions, we would talk about South Africa incorporated solutions. And I am speaking today on for and on behalf of the management team of the LFWA. The, the executive summary today is, is to give you a context of our briefing today. We believe that the Morani Commission of 2006 is as relevant today as it was then, when we talk about the need for strategic stocks. We believe that the energy white paper gives us clear direction. However, we do know that global changes have had a direct result on the changes to Africa, and in particular South Africa liquid fuels industry. We believe that regulation in South Africa has a specific need and the call for deregulation and the results of this need to be clearly understood by all. 
There's different types of wholesalers and the roles that they perform is critical to the sustainability of the liquid fuels industry in South Africa. And the LFWA has been giving the same message to all stakeholders for more than six years. So, so very briefly, uh, global changes. The global liquid fuels industry has and is undergoing a period of major and rapid transformation. This includes refinery changes. New thinking is needed to deal with this. OPEC was for many years a stable cartel. There's currently indications that this is no longer the case. Oil wells are getting deeper. Fracking and gas is becoming major substitutes. Energy conservation is becoming a global policy issue. The sharp changes in the price of crude oil over the last years must be placed in historical context. Crude oil has been between $10 and $40 a barrel for 118 of the last 157 years. Currently in huge fuel, uh, fuel spikes are due to geopolitical issues. And the one that we're facing now is, is a classic case of that. Also COVID-19 and the effect on economies globally have created new fuel pricing scenarios. <clears throat> when we talk about global refining operations, out of necessity, new refineries are getting larger with better economies of scale and also giving the ability to meet demand for new higher spec products. Smaller refineries across the world are closing or becoming storage facilities of finished products. We've seen that ourselves right here in South Africa. The market for refined products is expanding, Asia, India, China, while in Europe and North America, regulations are, are driving demand for lighter, higher quality products with reduced sulfur content. We've seen the introduction of global traders. Global traders have access to, excess, to extensive global supply networks. They have efficient distribution networks of the new low emission fuels that are currently being required at reasonable prices. We have seen them in South Africa with both Blencore at, at Astron and Trafigura at Puma. Carbon emissions is becoming a global discussion and the move to renewable energies and electric vehicles is also a growing global discussion. <clears throat> if I look at Africa, the slide I'm showing you now actually came from the department in 2015 or 2016, and I think it shows in, in a picture form better than anything that I could describe to you. But the industry in Africa has gone through major changes in, in the last two decades, increasing imports, competition. Most African refineries are at risk for structural reasons that scale and cost compliance that we talked about in the previous slide. Uh, really what this says is that if you look at the graph in, in 2004, the, the blue chunk is where the international oil companies owned a majority share in their respective retail and marking subsidiaries. And if you look at 2014, you will see the change. And you will see the change in, in, in the difference as to where the oil companies themselves had majority shares in their respective retail and marketing operations. If we look at an overview of South Africa, the changes to the global liquid fuels business added to the changes that were necessary in the South African liquid fuels industry and have created an environment where regulatory adjustments need to be made to ensure that the desired consequences of the Petroleum Products Amendment Act are realized. Regulation in particular is about balancing the interests of different groupings of society and setting appropriate rules. 
The LFWAC sees its role as fulfilling the role of constructive stakeholder engagement. The role of the regulator and the role of the Portfolio Committee on Mineral Resources and Energy is critical in this regard. The pace of transformation throughout the fuel value chain in South Africa has been slow. We believe that we must accept the responsibility for finding solutions that brings previously disadvantaged South Africans into the liquid fuels industry. There is a growing need for physical infrastructure development that would improve strategic stocks in South Africa, particularly if economic growth is so heavily relied, relied upon. The low levels of investment into infrastructure in the non-urban, rural outlying areas uh, over the past number of years is of great concern. The regulatory environment has a substantial influence in attracting investors, and licensing has a critical role in this and needs a much stronger focus. Independent wholesalers don't have protection from regulated prices like fuel retailers do. It is our intention in this discussion to offer some suggestions to these current pricing models, always using the current agreed principles. Firstly, there's a need for transparent costs to serve the market. And secondly, that fair market-related returns in servicing and investing in the non-retail-related markets we serve. It has been agreed, agreed that the move to the deregulated fuels market will happen when relevant milestones have been achieved, uh, environment where past models are no, are no longer workable. The South African refinery closures that we're seeing at the moment is of concern to us. And importantly, the locality of South Africa creates specific challenges, uh, issues like at least three weeks on the water to get finished product to us with the results in price lags. This is just a very a quick slide to show you that the South African value chain and how it's changed. And the big change is, is not in the crude oil and, and the SPM and the importing of finished product market, but in the top right-hand portion of this slide, we have integrated wholesalers, which are known as, as the refiners who are also wholesalers. But then we have what we now call non-integrated wholesalers. And the difference between these two is that predominantly the integrated wholesaler operates in the urban areas and the non-integrated wholesalers being our members uh, actually operate in non-urban areas. The rest of the business is, is very, very similar where we, we full road tankers, we deliver to motorists, we deliver to commercial customers. But the big difference is in that top right-hand corner, where we now have integrated and non-integrated wholesalers actually operating in the same space in the liquid fuels industry. The wholesaling sector of the liquid fuels industry, refining wholesalers moving volume from a secondary distribution model, using owned transport to one in which independent wholesalers now do the distribution is supported and deemed vital. In fact, it can be proven just how efficient the ind independent wholesalers are. However, when we analyze the actual cost of service in this market, there's an urgent need where a transparent real cost model in which a true wholesaler list price can be established. Independent wholesalers are substantial business entities, and we cannot stress enough that they very, they're the very significant impact on the South African economy that the independent wholesalers have filled. In the servicing of the commercial and retail markets that require small drop sizes and are removed from the urban centers. 
it's, just, it's safe to say that the current structures and business models that appear to be used by the refining wholesalers have devolved into a situation where it's safe to say that in future, they will not be in a position to re-enter these markets. <clears throat> Presently, there's a system that ensures that the rural uh, and non-urban and the poor communities pay the same amount uh, for transportation of petroleum products to their communities and pay the same amount for the storage of these facilities. This allows the pricing mechanism to, to recognize only one average price for secondary storage and handling and one average price for secondary transport. But you saw this morning, Sapir put up the slide, you will see that there's only one secondary transport and one secondary storage cost in that pricing model. The use of this one average was workable when one company did all the transport from the refinery gate to the customer, as over and under recoveries typically balanced out without negatively affecting profits. However, the oil majors, the integrated markets, having experienced the many countries around the world for many years, started a process of pulling out from the areas where the costs were above the level of recovery. The new independent wholesalers actually filled this gap. And they've kept all the business where the actual costs are below the cost recovery. This move has created two very different separate economies in the downstream liquid fuels industry. This is just a very brief example of what we're talking about. These numbers in, in the top left-hand side of, of the graph are actually taken from the original RAS working documents. So you will see that the numbers, if you, if you add them up and, and look at the averages, are not what's in the current pricing model but these were accurate for then, and it's only an example to give you. If you look at a major depot, a depot that has a throughput of more than 100 million liters, when this exercise was done, the cost was then, the replacement cost was then four and a half cents a liter. If you look at a small depot of only one million liter throughput, the cost in those days was at 41 cents a liter, okay? So when you look at averaging small, medium, and large, and you only use the one average, and that average goes into the pricing model, that's where we're talking about now having two different, two different pricing models. And if you look at secondary transport, exactly is the same for secondary transport. If you look at the, the small depots, their the transport economics that come from small depots is a lot more expensive because the drop sizes are smaller and the differences traveled or longer, they have to do a number of, of deliveries per, per time that the truck goes out, where if you're a big depot in an urban area, you have a much more efficient uh, transport cost. It's not about efficiency of the operator, it's only about the efficiencies of the numbers. <clears throat> so we're saying that if we talk about experiences relating to the situation that we currently are, the problems faced uh, uh, and exacerbated by the fuel price increase is that the storage and distribution cost recoveries as reflected in the petroleum product prices are average of storage and distribution costs in the country, while the costs incurred by independent wholesalers are much higher than average. Added to this, there is no flow through mechanism in the current pricing models. The oil majors in South Africa are the first receivers of cost recoveries and margins. They in turn negotiate fixed discounts with the independents to serve at the non-profitable non parts of the value chain, retaining the margins to suit their own return on investment. 
Missing is significant costs in the zone and secondary distribution margin calculations, things like toll fees, working, cost, working capital availability and cost to fund higher prices is always a, 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 a barrier to entry that independent wholesalers face. Understated margins, actual retail site volume throughputs of, of 196,000 litres a month in 2020. However, the benchmark service station that we use says 232, and I, I, I really expect that the, the retailers will, will actually add to this discussion. There's a regulatory lag. The diesel price used for transport calculations in both secondary distribution and the zone differentials used October of the previous year. So examples of 9C now use the October 2020 diesel price from the Road Freight Association, as, as you saw in the Sapir slides. That was 15.71 then, but the actual expected to be in April of 2022 is about 22.50. So you can see that lag and the spark that we see now will not be picked up until next year. <clears throat> More importantly for us is that most people who are not in the industry do not understand that when prices of fuel goes up, that fuel wholesalers and retailers alike do not make more money. Our margins remain and fixed in a sense per litre number, but the costs, be it CAD, be it card costs, be it working capital costs, whatever it is, increase in the, because of the cost of fuel and there's no link between the two. We, we believe that any revisions that include attempts to remove the tax component from the weighted average capital cost rate that we've seen in, in the press over the last week to 10 days, do away with entrepreneurial compensation or reduce the weighted average cost of capital rate. This will lead to retailers and investors being se severely impacted to such a degree that businesses will become unsustainable as an example, is that retailers will be left only with, a, with cost recoveries in their margins. And we don't think it's fair to expect anybody to, to invest in a business when you only have cost recoveries as your margin. This, of course, is not limited only to retailers, but will extend to all other investors, be it oil companies, be it independents, to any other investors in a filling station will be affected the same as we've just described. Of course, we understand the public frustration. We need to ensure that the suggested revisions of the fuel prices do not have unintended consequences. <clears throat> uh, experiences relating to fuel uh, increases continued. As the price goes up and margins remain fixed, so our GP percent percentages also reduce. If you take fixed cost percentages as a, as a GP, what this really means is we have to sell more to break even. We're looking at salary increases this year that come from bargaining councils at probably about 7%. We've seen toll increases between 7 and 7%. Standing times at refineries, stockout, delays, strikes, protest action, all add to additional costs to running an independent wholesaler's business. So we've seen since what happened in KZN and Gauteng last year, that the Sassaria costs have gone up from 350 rand a month to about 3,500 rand a month per truck. The shortages of new vehicles and the massive cost increase of new vehicles and truck and trailer combinations 
we, we're talking now about 5 million rand for a new truck and trailer combination, also have a, a, a massive effect on, on our sustainability. And the insurance of transnet value uh, from about 400,000 rand a vehicle to 800,000 rand a vehicle also have a negative effect on us. Our real concern is that independent, most independent wholesalers are our new entrants, and this is really putting pressure on the fact that new entrants will, will be failing. <clears throat> We talked, to, we, we, we talked about alternatives and or considerations in addressing the increase in fuel price. One of our cautions is against any knee-jerk reactions. We, we've seen some of we, what we believe of some of those. We believe that there's a need for a much wider discussion, not only today, which is, like I said, it's greatly appreciated, but going into the future, we need more of these. For us, it's not only about pricing today, but we, we want this wider discussion to talk about the sustainability of market participants, the refining to refined product imports. We mentioned it earlier. The changes in the industry are substantial. We, we don't believe that this is business as usual, that we need to be holding wider discussions about business unusual. We have always maintained that the pricing model must reflect what is happening on the ground. We also believe that if you become an import-reliant economy, which we are talking about now, then the risk of geopolitical impacts is higher because without crude, or crude refining capacity, you're always at more mercy to global markets than you are if you have that refining capacity. This is just a very a, a brief slide to show you the difference between wholesale margin storage and handling storage and distribution and retail. They only make up 15% of the pump price. If you look at this and, and, and exactly the same slide that Sophia put up this morning, you will see that the wholesale margin, the storage distribution margin, the retail margin, and the zone differential from Durban to Johannesburg are, are small in comparison to the others. The fuel levy and duty here is only the 3 rand 97. We have not included the road accident fund levy because we don't believe that's under discussion at the moment. If you look at BFP at March and what we expect BFP at April to be, you will see that the real discussion needs to be in that area because that's where the, the, the big happenings are. So if you look at that graph, we're saying the administered prices make up a small portion of the current petrol price, petrol pump price, and per, uh, fuel price margin revision of fuel retailers and other investment, investor margins currently is incorrectly focused. We shouldn't be focusing on that side of, of, of the, the price maker. Much of the motivation behind these requests to review prices are based on the current spike in fuel prices due to the Russian-Ukraine war, where we have seen crude prices at over $130 a barrel dropped to 110, back to 120 dollars a barrel. So there's some fluctuation there. If we look at the basic fuel price 2020 for January to March and then for April, you'll see that the basic fuel price has gone from 903 in January to, to 11 Rand in, in March to possibly 1291 in April. However, if you look at taxes and levies, from January to April, they won't have moved. They will be the same. If you look at the administered prices, which is what we discussed in the previous slide, from 387 to 387, there's no movement there. 
So we're saying that discussions now that any material solutions, therefore, can only rely on, on the managing of the BFP prices, different sources of crude, different sources of refined products, and possibly fuel levies where recoveries are deferred until fuel prices are lower. So in our, in our solutions, we're saying it's a short term, it's a price spike. We, we are very aware that at the Minister of Finance's budget speech this year talked about huge windfall taxes from resources last year. These could be offset against the windfall, or we need a new set of rules to put this shortage on the slate. However, more importantly for us is we're talking about medium term. We're saying that there are fundamental changes to the pricing system that are required, and we need a pricing review, a systematic, systematic review of the entire value chain. Each pass must, must be examined for their own specifics, operational requirements, and once this is done, that each section needs to be ring-fenced to ensure that there's no damaging vertical integration. And probably the last comment is the most important one is that we must engage with stakeholders in this industry to achieve that balance that we talked about earlier to make sure that there's a balance in, in our pricing models. Thank you. We look forward to the questions and answer session after the other presentation. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Mr. Kotzer, that concludes our presentation. Chair? Are you done? Done, thank you, Mr. Chair. Oh, I didn't hear that, thank you. Okay, can you take the next one, uh, Ari? Yes. Okay, thank you very much. I am keeping my radio face on and not putting the video on. Uh, please confirm that you can see my screen. Now we can see your picture. I'm sharing my screen. Can you see the screen? Yes, we can. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, firstly, thank you to Rico and the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee for inviting SAPRA to present today. My name is Vishal Premlal, uh, National Director for the South African Petroleum uh, Retailers Association that exists within the uh, RMI. The SAPRA team analyzed the request made by the PCMRE and prepared a simple presentation to illustrate the challenges we see now with some realizable solutions we envisage may be achieved in the short to medium term. My team that's joining the discussion are SAPRA NEC members, Kerry Levis, 
a well-recognized retailer and icon in the petroleum retailing space, and Henny Smith, who hails from a prominent retailer group that has interest in the agri sector nationally. We deem this approach necessary as sometimes receiving input from associations only is not enough. Receiving input from retailers who are at the cold front, having to deal with the resultant forces of disgruntled consumers, industry, and external forces. Uh, and these have a material uh, impact in terms of you know, deriving a solution. The format of the presentation follows a high-level overview of SAPRA, a short video on SAPRA that can be viewed independent of the session, a consumer perspective on the fuel price, a retailer perspective on the fuel price, fuel price in the macro economy, and finally, proposed solutions to consider. So I'm gonna skip right past the video because that can be viewed independently. Moving straight over to a little intro on SAPRA. So our mission is to transform the retail fuel value chain into a sustainable business sector in an ever-changing landscape. We do this through true and transparent collaboration between fuel retailers and our focus on developing positive and constructive solutions based on a simple concept, which is to focus on what's right for the retailer. Our purpose is displayed there. I'm not going to talk to that. But with regards to the SAPRA impact, we directly represent over 700 fuel retailers and pride ourselves in the efforts we have to impact the entire fuel retail network that's member or non-member. We span over all the major brands and our members operate in nine provinces represented through regional committees that ultimately culminate into a national committee tasked to, to drive strategic objectives of SAPRA. The impact of the fuel price on the consumer. The outer analysis that appeared in the media uh, recently uh, is of particular interest. The fuel price between 2011 and 2021 uh, in 2008, when the oil price was $140 a barrel, the price of fuel was 11 rands a litre. And now more recently, when the fuel price hovered around $129 uh, a barrel, the price was 21 rands a litre. Of interest is the percentage rate fluctuations in the period 2011 to 2021 for levies, the road accident fund and other levies having increased by 116, 173 and 115% respectively whilst in the same period, BFP increased by 49%. Consumers, in most cases, below the breadline consumers, are hardest hit. That's when the fuel price goes up, consumer goods go up, and when the fuel price drops, however, consumer goods pricing does not alter accordingly. The impact on the fuel retailer. External forces of late played a critical role in diminishing retailer volumes. The COVID pandemic, set the trend for situation abnormal, as alluded to by Peter Morgan in the retailer environment, compounded more recently by the Russia-Ukraine saga that has had a ripple effect worldwide. The retailers in South Africa have already lost volumes. They would not ordinarily recover. The current state maintains the same trajectory on perpetual volume loss. Volumes still are the major income generator in the retailer environment and continued losses will eventually lead to job losses, threats on business sustainability, especially for those new entrants to the game that are still servicing business loans. Merchant fees continue to increase with the increasing fuel price, a cost that the retailer is currently having to endure. 
the recent media article reflecting that the retailer margin has a near 86 cents per litre opportunity is a no-go zone. This consideration is tantamount to retailer suicide in an already declining market. We understand that the position was adopted from a report conducted some years ago, one that SAPRA has neither endorsed nor contributed to. The macroeconomy and the fuel price. New to industry stakeholders wanting to enter the space will have great difficulty, especially for those trying to achieve transformation targets. The monthly fuel price announcement has the effect of stirring media hype, resultantly affecting consumer emotion and the consumer goods basket. Millions of product prices as, as well as service rates to be adjusted to cater for fuel price change. Example, fuel makes up 65% of road tanker transportation rates. Non-fuel industry misuses, misuses the opportunity to hike prices and blames it on increased fuel prices. Every time the fuel price changes, all fuel stock in country needs to be re-evaluated overnight. Market-wide price increases hits the hardest on our poorest community, which is taxi rates, basic food distribution costs, etc. You will find annexed to this presentation a business analysis conducted by SAPRA in collaboration with COBRA, a business rescue initiative, where the impact of COVID-19 on the petroleum retailer was assessed. There are interesting sustainability takeouts that provide a good indication on the impact external forces can have on a regulated business model like fuel retailing. Proposed solutions. The price change frequency. Reduce the frequency of the monthly price adjustments to quarterly adjustments. Reduce the hype and the concurrent costly knock-on effect on our macro economy. Card machine fees. The retail fuel pricing structure is a cents per liter based structure. Bank card machine fees are charged percentage based, meaning each time the fuel price increases, the card machine fees automatically also increase. Regulate card machine fees on a cents per litre basis to align with the fuel pricing methodology, similar to how the transport differential is regulated. Job creation, something slightly different. We have a massive opportunity to transform the retail fuel industry into a leading job creation incubator. Fuel attendant jobs are ideal to introduce unskilled persons into the job market. Develop a special job creation program for the retail industry to enable fuel retailers to employ more people and embark on more focused training initiatives to upskill pump attendance, similar to the YES program. And then, of course, we can't ignore what's happening elsewhere. It is always healthy to look at what our neighboring African countries or developed economies are doing on this topic. The proposals suggested in the media article link, which you can all access, suggest that Ghana is considering reducing the tax slash levy burden Whilst it is not clear how and for what period, the proposal is circulating on social media, creating expectation that this is a possibility. And with that, I say thank you from me and my team, and we're glad to take questions later. Thank you, Chair. Over to you, Chair.
Uh, Arika, it seems that uh, the chair has fallen off the platform. Yeah, I've noticed as well, Mr. Milo. I'll just check on him quickly. Perhaps in the meantime, we can continue with the next presentation. Yeah, well done. Take leadership. Well, I'm, I'm here. Uh, Thank you, Chair. Yeah, we can go for the next presentation. FRI, Chair. I am good day, Chair. Uh, my name is Bonne Lombata from the representing the Fuel Retailers Association. I am trying to just share my my slide quickly. Please give me a sec. Um, I don't know if I'm enabled. You do have co-hosting rights, uh, Sibonele. I do, okay. Mm. Just open the document, share, yes. and then click on it and then share. So I'm on share right now. Um, the desktop. It doesn't seem to, to allow me. No, 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 in, in Zoom. You opened the document, did you? You minimized it? Yes, I've got the document open. Yeah. So thereby share. Yes. And then in that block, you'll see the document there. Then you click on it and then share. Yeah, so it's it's saying that it's taking me to preferences and all that. That's why I'm, I was asking if I, I have the sharing rights. You do. Okay. Jeez. Otherwise, it's fine. Let me share it. You can just guide me through it. Please, if you can, um, I'll appreciate it. Right, thank you. You can just uh, make it a presentation mode. And full screen. Okay, thank you once again, and uh, apologies for the tech glitches. Um, as I said, my name is Bonne Lombata. I'm a member of uh, the Fuel Retailers Association. I, um, I am joined by uh, the president, Mr. Mike Motswane. Um, I bring apologies once again from our CEO, who is on um, an international travel at the moment, hence he could not join us today. I'm just going to briefly go through the presentation and some of the points that I've got in my presentation would have been alluded by the previous speakers. However, I think for the purposes of uh, of, of flow, let me just take you through a little bit of, a, um, call it a, an educational journey, because I, I believe that there are a lot of misconceptions 
uh, primarily in the public domain um, about the fuel retail industry. Um, uh, and as a result of that, uh, people still believe to date that when the petrol prices go up, fuel retailers are smiling and uh, the opposite can, uh, can't be any further. So let me just take you through uh, uh, just quickly. We've got about 4,700 service stations in the country um, and we employ over 81,000. That is according to a MIBCO database. Of the service stations that we have in the country, about 60% of them are company-owned and retailer-operated. So what, they, what this means basically is that the, the retailers do not necessarily own the assets. They don't necessarily own the land upon which um, these uh, businesses is operated. And so 60% of that is, is really uh, under the control of the oil company in as far as the assets are concerned. Are concerned. Now, the industry is, um, is currently in a, a big transformation drive. Um, and the current statistics, although this is changing by uh, months, uh, but the last time we looked, we were looking at about 20% uh, African representation and of that, about 5% uh, African women. Now, these transformation uh, transactions uh, that happen currently, uh, they are either geared 100%, 90%, at the very best, at 80%. And the reason for this is, of course, most of the retailers that are coming into the industry are predominantly African that uh, do not have a lot of money to put in for these transactions. I didn't get into the detail of how much a service station would cost, but I think for the for your information, you're probably looking at an average of between a five and a 10 million rand um, per service station. Now, if you were to then fund this most of the time, some of them are, are funded 100%. Um, there's a reason why I've put this because it talks to uh, the margins and, uh, and and the sustainability of the industry thereof. Now, the recent uh, interest hikes, uh, interest rate hikes, are still putting a lot more pressure on these highly geared uh, transactions. Um, and I mean, even yesterday, we did uh, see that the minister hiked the interest rates by 25 basis points. Let's go to the next slide, please. Now, what are the challenges that are facing um, the DMRE regulation pricing system um, that is, was referred to as RAS? Now, fuel retail is still a major revenue stream for service stations. Um, so if you go to sites um, in like rural and in townships, about 60 to 80% of their revenue comes from uh, sale of petrol. Uh, so it is a very volatile revenue stream and the margins are fixed on cents per liter and, uh, and are not relative to fuel price changes. Now, that means every time petrol goes up, it directly erodes a, a portion of uh, this already compromised uh, uh, fixed margin. Now, some costs 
um, like the previous speakers have, have referred to, your, your credit card costs, your insurance costs, all those are directly linked to uh, the prevailing pump price. Um, we are seeing quite a lot of these costs coming through right now, and the retailers are having to bear the, the burden of, of these ever-increasing costs. Now, as the pump price is regulated, retailers cannot recover these losses. Unfortunately, because the margin is not adjusted on monthly uh, basis as the cost changes, it means that the retailer will have to absorb these costs and only have an opportunity of recovering uh, once a year when uh, the minister reviews uh, these margins. Now, it is critical that uh, DMRE uh, looks at uh, mechanisms to review these uh, margins regularly and uh, to eliminate these lags um, in terms of recovery. Next slide. I'm just going to touch on this um, a little bit just um, so we can understand that when it comes to the retailer, they are, um, you know, only about 11% of the whole pump value chain, just 11% is the actual margin that, um, that the dealer uh, would have to play with. And by the way, of that 11%, um, there is still um, the component that would have to go to the, um, uh, to the oil company, um, which will then leave a dealer with about 7% uh, of the, the total pump price. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because I think if we want to come up with any solution and meaningful intervention when it comes to um, curbing uh, the, uh, the impact of petrol prices, you definitely cannot even think of going to the 7% and leave the 93% because uh, you will not really make any much impact. As it were, the 7% would probably still need to be reviewed um, uh, better. But anyway, so this slide really just talks to the breakdown of the margin. So of the 21 rand odd, uh, so in, in the, the current pump price right now, um, the actual margin that a retailer is left with is about 28 cents. And of that, a net margin after the oil company has taken the uh, res portion um, allocated for their asset ownership, you are looking at about a rand 64 net. Uh, next slide. Now, challenges with the DMRE regulatory pricing system, um, the OPEX under recovery. Now, some operational costs are directly linked to the pump price fluctuations, as I said before. Um, and if we go back uh, prior to 2010, um, some of you will remember that you could not buy fuel on a credit card in South Africa. Now, when 2010 came and then the World Cup, and we needed to um, accommodate the international community, 
Then it was during that time when credit cards were then introduced and allowed, you know, um, as a means of payment for fuel. The knock-on effects on that were that um, a transaction on a credit card attracts a 1.75% my um, sorry um, um, uh, transaction fee. Now, on a fixed margin, and you now allow a new method of payment, which eats up on the very um, small margin, the DMRE has never came back to revise the margin to accommodate for the acceptance of credit cards. As we speak today, the retailers are under-recovering about 38 cents per liter each time there is a swipe of a credit card. Now, this puts enormous pressure on, 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 on retailers who, as we all know, that um, the consumers are now moving more into using credit cards as a means of payment as opposed to cash. Now, the debit cards, you'd be looking at about 14 cents under-recovery. Um, next slide. Now, what are the challenges with the DMRE? Again, if we continue there, the profit margin under recovery. Now, if we look at now, currently the, the DMRE allocates a retail profit margin, which we, what we refer to as entrepreneurial compensation of about 31 cents per liter. Now, the OPEX on previous slides is meant to cover the expenses, the operational expenses of a service station. It does not, um, it, do, it, it does not, uh, um, sorry, uh, so, so ap apologies. So I'm, I'm saying is the 31 cents was really meant to ring fence for the entrepreneur that is actually running the service station. And all the other margin, 60% of that actually goes towards um, employee costs. Um, so the 31 cents, as it were, even the oil companies are still taking about 15% to 25% of that, leaving an entrepreneur with about 25 cents. Uh, that's really allocated for their profit margin. Now, under the under recovery of that 38 cents that I spoke about earlier on, on, on the credit cards, um, as an example, means that every credit card transaction takes away, um, you know, the remaining 25 cents entrepreneurial compensation, which then, um, you know, makes these, like every time there's a, a credit card transaction, it, it, it basically amounts to a loss for the retailer. Next slide. Next slide, thank you. Now, what is the impact on transformation? Now, it is anticipated that uh, you know, Black-owned service stations will increase over the next three to five years. Um, you know, if you look at the statistics I referred to earlier on, most of these buyers are PDIs who rely on funding for these transactions, mostly highly geared, as I also explained earlier on. The cash flows and serviceability of these loans is dependent on predetermined margin over the period of time, uh, which often is about 60 months repayment period. Uh, the costs associated with high fuel prices continue to erode 
the already compromised margin, threatening sustainability thereof. Reduced volumes and compromised margins, um, the, sorry, uh, the reduced volumes and compromised margins make no enough room to service these loans while trying to stay afloat, rendering a high number of black entrants as incompetent and terminated before they, they, their full tenure by oil companies and the other wholesalers. We all know the COVID-19 impact. I'm not going to go through that. Uh, but we also know that uh, even government has been uh, um, advising people to work from home, which then is going to also affect the volumes and sustainability of uh, fuel retailers. Now, uh, the illegal trading is really one of the biggest issues that the fuel retailers are having to deal with which really uh, pose a serious threat to the sustainability of our volumes. Next slide. <clears throat> the closing remarks and the recommendations. We do know that the DMRE um, commissioned study by KPMG in 2016. Um, it proved that the retailers are under recovering by at least 12 cents per liter. This was never addressed nor implemented by the department. The credit card costs, which I have alluded to, have not been addressed to date. Retailers suffered greatly during lockdown and looting, and many have not recovered. Um, at lockdown, volumes dropped by 80% and, uh, and have not recovered uh, to sorry, and have only recovered to about 70 to 80% of volumes prior to COVID-19. Increased costs associated with high fuel prices continue to burden retailers. Increases in robberies, bombings, drive-offs, card cloning, not only cause trauma and loss of, of business, they further trigger increase in insurance costs and, and so forth, as I have alluded um, earlier on. Now, in the history of MIPCO, there has never been a flow of fuel business, businesses um, under uh, prosecution due to delayed uh, late payments of staff security benefits. Now, um, if you look at uh, MIPCO currently, you are seeing a high number of fuel retailers defaulting in uh, payment of the provident fund for the benefit of, uh, um, of, of staff. And this really shows the hardships that uh, the retailers are facing at the moment. Um, next slide. Here are the recommendations that um, as FRA um, are putting on the table. We are recommending the total scrapping of the road accident fund in its current uh, revenue structure. This can be replaced with mandatory motor insurance flat fee not linked to a pump price. I mean, the, the, there's numerous reasons why this is a flawed system in our view. And I mean, imagine somebody who is uh, buying fuel for agricultural purposes, who's not on the road, um, is basically 
uh, plowing and doing whatever they are doing, but not really on the road. But that person is still subjected to paying a 2 and 18 cents road accident fire levy. Um, and I mean, the examples can be plenty and many. So we believe that this is one area where we should be looking at. And of course, it cannot be done overnight. It may need a lot of um, 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 engagements in, in order to make it to make sure that it is done in a much sustainable manner. But we also believe there is a room to for government to review the fuel levies and give relief to already burdened motorists. Um, if at all, we believe that there is a room for the retailers' margins to be um, improved. And I know that some may think this is opportunistic, but the reality is that if we do not do that, the very transformation that we are trying to drive for the industry is going to fail flat. As part of the National Development Plan, uh, we need to promote SMME and we need to create jobs. And we can do that if we ensure that the industry, the fuel retail industry is sustainable. As illustrated, the part of the pump, petrol pump price accrued to majority of fuel retailers is only 7% of the total pump price. Now, these portion desperately requires at least 12 cents per liter increase in its, um, uh, in its reduction will not make any significant or meaningful change to the current fuel price um, structure. Now, any attempt to reduce the fuel retail margin, as we have read in the media, um, I hope that it, it was not the, the, the truth, but any attempt um, will render uh, service stations unsustainable. The industry um, already approaches 4,000 retrenchments due to hardships. And this is according to the MIPCO report. Next slide. Oh, sorry. Um, the next slide was basically a thank you. And uh, it was going to be uh, on my side. And I apologize that we could not send it through there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Honorable Are you done? Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay. Is there next one, Ari? No, Chair. We are finished with the presentations. Oh, okay. Let me then uh, check. Um, honorable members, let's deal with the questions of clarity or comments. We are intending because we don't want to have a in the discussion we had after the committee last Tuesday, we are of the view that we can't have a perpetual uh, committee that receives the reports. At some point, we need to take a stance. Uh, what is it? Which is why we also had to give an opportunity to the operators in the industry that uh, they come and, and express how they operate and um, what do they think has to be considered uh, in the environment like this? So what we will do when we are done, we will then schedule a session based on the presentation we have received, schedule a session of the committee meeting 
uh, table what we propose as a report, which will also talk about uh, what uh, the committee recommends to be done. So it's important that just to understand that there will be a session of a discussion now amongst ourselves as the committee on what do we think, having received so much uh, presentation, what do we think should be the alternative? Can I then check uh, any hands that are, are there? If uh, you didn't show your hands, just uh, state the, the name. I can't see a hand. I see the hand of uh, uh, Honorable, as uh, Honorable Melam. It's uh, Honorable Malinga. It's Honorable Kula, uh, and then it will be Honorable uh, Volmaras. Yes, in that in that order. You will take questions in relation, even if it's not directed. You will take questions even in relation to you. And then when we come back for responses, you will respond to you, the questions that were directed to you. Chair, can I go ahead? Thank you, Chair. Um, so first of all, thank you to all the presenters today. I think uh, there was a lot of information that, that we we received. Um, some of it was clearer than, than others, and uh, uh, I will try and... Uh, get to what I need some clarity on. Um, my concern, however, and, and this is addressed at, at all the presenters, is that there, there is, and it's unsurprisingly so, an incredible amount of self-interest at play here. In other words, you, you look at your sector and you say, don't touch what I've got, um, touch somebody else's. So, for example, we saw the wholesalers say, don't touch what, what uh, wholesalers get, go and touch the, the, the BFP. Um, similarly with the retailers. Um, and, and honestly, in the last presentation, um, when, when there was a call for an increase in um, the retailer uh, component, uh, the under-recovery, I think that kind of misses the point of what we're trying to accomplish here. My concern is that, that very few of the presentations actually addressed what is the critical concern, and that is how do we uh, minimize the impact of increasing fuel prices? What can we do as a country? Uh, let's, let's put our individual self-interest aside and say, what can we do as a country to address the, the, the rising fuel prices and the impact that's having on every single sector of the economy? So in that regard, I think that, that um, I, I, I'd really welcome a little bit of clarity from anyone who, who can provide some concrete steps that should be taken uh, to, to do that. I am concerned, um, and Mr. Morkel, um, I'm going to address this to you, about the fact that Saoga didn't really talk to the basic fuel, well, not the basic fuel price, the fuel price, uh, and spoke rather in terms of generalities, um, and that you, you, you seem to assume that the oil and gas resources will translate into some kind of um, bountiful supply of oil and gas for South Africa in the short term. And when I, you used the term medium term, but let's say three years is, is short term. Within three years, we will have a bountiful supply of oil and gas 
that is locally sourced. Now, I'm really curious as to on what basis you make that assumption, because as I see it, uh, our oil and gas resources are not at that point where we will have that that uh, supply chain coming in uh, in that sort of time frame, and and that the earliest that we can anticipate seeing that is probably in the region of seven to ten years. So I'd really welcome some information in that regard. Then perhaps a uh, 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 a question that, that uh, and I don't know who this needs to be addressed to because there's a lot of overlap of, of maybe it's uh, Sapir, maybe it's uh, Soga, um, I'm not sure. Um, and that is, what is the impact of South African refining closing down? Are we, are we seeing that impact price upwards or is that not a factor in, in determining the fuel price that the consumer and businesses are paying at the pump. Um, I asked this because we saw in one of the presentations, and I can't recall which one it was, uh, a statement that there is a move towards larger refineries, um, that there are economies of scale, and that this is being mirrored in South Africa where smaller refineries are unable to, to compete effectively. So I'd, I'd really welcome some, some guidance in this regard as to what the impact that has on the fuel price that, that we pay at the pump. Uh, along a similar line, where or how do we secure a line of supply uh, that, that ensures that, that we are not adversely affected by uh, conflict situations, that we are not adversely affected by um, sudden spikes in, in uh, oil prices, etc. So how, how can we go about securing a, a, supply, a supply pipeline that, that minimizes the, the impact on uh, the pump price? Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Greetings. <clears throat> Greetings to yourself, um, members of the Portfolio Committee and all our stakeholders on the platform, everybody on the platform, also our committee staff. Chairperson, it's funny. Today, for the first time, I agree with the first sentiments of what Comrade, of what Honorable Mailem has, has uh, uttered, that everybody here is here to shield their eye. Don't touch my sector and, and all this. For the first time, Chair, I think it's, it's, it's promising. Chairperson, um, let me start with Rick uh, Sapia. The difference between genuine import parity and the deemed import parity as is the case with BFP. What, what, what do they think of that, Chair? And also that 7% Chairperson is very high because it excludes shop profits. Chairperson, why, why, why do they want to... <clears throat> why is there stock financing in BFP when there is a cash business, when there is cash business over 30 years? And why are there coastal storage costs in BFP when refining storage is part of the cost of product and refining in is deregulated? Why are downstream... Based on capital asset pricing model rather than a return on assets. Chairperson, lastly, why is the country a country risk premium in BFP of 15% when the country faces no risk? Thank you very much, Chair.
esa cola. Uh, Chair, are you asking uh, industry to respond already? Or, no, no, no. Uh, oh. We still have to attend to the end of Mr. Kola. If he's not there, Honorable Volmarans. Yeah, not, not. Thanks, Chair. Um, <clears throat> let me also uh, uh, greet uh, the members on the platform and um, the uh, invitees uh, organizations that uh, did uh, presentations. And um, by so also welcome the presentations, Chair. Um, indeed, um, uh, to some extent, not to the entire extent, to some extent, I uh, agree with the, the previous members uh, on the matter of uh, some polarized type of um, uh, presentation based on everybody presented according to um, their field and in their corner, protecting what, 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 what there is. But I also don't think it is wrong uh, to do that because uh, if uh, you are invited to present, you present according to what your uh, environment's uh, challenges are. Um, though it is an eye-opener on a number of issues that have been raised, what I could find um, uh, as a comment, Chair, that straddles across all the presentations is actually where we all agree in comment. Sorry, 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 Peter, uh, Honorable Valmas. Ari and Ayanda, can you read on the wall what uh, Honorable Bola is saying and attend to it, please? Yeah, we are attending to it, Chair. Continue, Sure, thanks, thanks, Chair. So I'm saying what, what struggles across all of them, Chair, is that um, there, 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 there is um, imminent danger uh, if uh, a lot of factors that you have uh, attested to uh, do not get uh, attention by the authorities um, that be, that uh, DMRE, um, and us as a committee, um, in the bigger picture of the heading of this um, uh, presentations. One thing is that the, all of them, or most of them, talk about uh, the review that you must look at uh, the levies and uh, the VET. Because it seems like it, 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 um, at, a, at a large scale, um, it's where we can either effect some, 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 some change or some reduction of some sort. Although at the same time, um, whatever that reduces levy or, or vet uh, would have to have a burden in another sector, which when they come to present will try to say, no, no, no you are touching um, on our stuff, uh, and, and which has got a burden on the, on the entire balance sheet um, of the national uh, budget. So I want to agree with you, uh, Chairperson, that Perhaps we, we, we accept the presentations as, as they are. Uh, we have in another uh, portfolio committee also spoken about the review of the BFP, um, uh, the fast tracking of such, uh, and, the, and to relook into what it, it, it is uh, to be done. 
Because as Sapia said, it is not necessarily in their control. Uh, it is somewhere else there, but it, it has got an impact on the entire industry as it is. Um, so, so I would agree with the, with the notion that uh, given the presentations that we have uh, had um, and um, inputs that might also come further, the committee needs to, 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 to get into um, a, a proper discussion and clear recommendations from the committee. Uh, I, would, I would suspect that um, we, 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 we are not going to have the last of this kind of uh, debate in the National Assembly. I know that other parties are maybe already trying to look at what uh, move next in terms of coming with uh, 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 motions or statements or debates in relation to where we are heading um, given the outbreak of the war and uh, Russia and Ukraine, and also our own situation where it's being affected. And it is on that note that I, I welcome the presentations and um, it edifies and, and, and gives more information on um, matters that we will discuss as a committee and other related departments. Thanks, Chairperson. Doesn't look as if we're winning, Chair. Sorry, Chair, there's nothing wrong on my side. It should be on his side. I just uh, wrote a message to you now. Ah. Okay. Um. In the meantime, we will uh, see whether he is uh, coming back. Can I give back to, according to the manner in which you presented, I think it was first Sapia, and then the last one was, um, what was it, Ari? FRHA. Yes, in that, in that order. Uh, but please, let's, Let's not give, uh, uh, my experience is not a good one. Sometimes when the questions are asked, the responses are more than the presentation itself. Uh, let's just be precise, direct on the questions that were made or comments and not extend and, uh, to something more than the presentation that we've made. Can I give it to, to yourselves uh, to respond on the issues raised by members? Okay. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you, uh, members of the committee, for the questions. Um, I will attempt to respond uh, to the questions in terms of the the order in which they were raised. I think the there was a broad questions which is posed to all of us as presenters by um, um, Mr. Mileham. Uh, I think he want, he's raised concern, which uh, I hear other members are also raising the same concern to say, like, I mean, we appear to be um, like only saving our interest. We are not looking this at the 
country perspective and um and then at the back of that he asked uh, for a broad question in terms of like i mean um what concrete steps that uh, we should do as a country to minimize the impact of rising fuel prices i must say we in our crafting this presentation we look at this really to try to be as uh, objective as possible but um our interpretation was that i mean we are also expected to reflect on the impact of rising prices on our membership as well because as much as like the 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 users of our products are experiencing the hardship we are also experiencing our hardship as far as like i mean procurement of these products in the international market and uh, because this is a full supply chain uh if there's hardship at the beginning it's bound to affect the entire value chain so that is what we were attempting to to reflect on and uh, i think what uh, I, i also we are trying to to make it clear is that sapia we are not opposed of considering all options that we potentially all agree needs to be considered there shouldn't be any holy cows i mean if we believe that we need to look into the the margins the cost recovery the tax the bfp itself how it is constructed is it saving south africa as a whole we need to look at that i mean we are not opposed to that but the point that we are raising is that uh, we need to properly consult in all the stakeholders um because right now it's very difficult i mean for one to say like i mean if we look into bfp whether it's going to produce like the desired outcome of lowering, lowering the prices Uh, by a material figure that will be like acknowledged as a real movement by the users of our products so i think I, i wanted to make it clear that we are not i mean opposed to any review of all these factors because this will provide opportunity to all of us who are participants or who have got interest in this industry to really take informed decision particularly the regulators i mean having listened to stakeholders i mean they will be able to to take I mean, the right decision uh, the committee as a representatives of public i mean um, uh, or, or citizens will also be informed in taking its uh, decision and making recommendations going forward so that is how i would like to respond we make a first attempt which is granted not informed by any facts in terms of what we think could be done uh but we don't really have solutions because these are quite I mean, technical issues that we believe that they will require a thorough work to be done in order for us to really arrive at that uh, point where we can say if we adopt the following steps this is has got a potential to minimize the impact of rising fuel prices so that will be my attempt to respond to your question uh, mr melam then you also had a question on what is the impact of for the south african south african refining closing down on fuel prices i mean i would like to say like uh, to to say i mean based on what i have uh, 
indicated on the slide that deals with BFP. The pricing of petroleum products has nothing to do with like uh, the, the refining or the products that are produced locally. It is based on the BFP mechanism. The BFP mechanism, it really look at the realistic market related costs of importing substantial portion of uh, liquid fuels into the country. By substantial volumes, you are talking about millions of liters, if not billions of liters. So that is where you bring the efficiency into the table. Because if you then you will look at the actual uh, production cost by each individual refinery and you aggregate them, you are not making the South African refineries competitive. And as we know, there are various studies that are com uh, completed to review and benchmark the local refineries I mean, uh, to their peers around the globe. So the best way of doing it is to make sure that these refineries are competing to their peers around the globe or their competitors, because a refinery that has got a potential to supply South Africa, wherever it's sitting, whether it's in India or Singapore, that it's a direct competitor to a refinery in South Africa. So it is critical that we have a mechanism like BFP that enable us to bring that international competitiveness into the, the, the mechanism. So in summary, the refinery-like operation have no impact whatsoever in the fuel prices at the pump. Then you also um, ask, I mean, the last question that I've noted from yourself, it was like, how do we secure a line of supply that minimizes the impact at the pump? I think uh, we need to acknowledge that um, the oil products are global commodities. So the pain that we are feeling here in South Africa, as, as long as you are an importing nation, uh, it doesn't matter where you see it, you will be uh, experiencing the, the same pain. Uh, you, the people that are really smiling at this I mean, point in time are the oil producing nations. I'm sure if you look at like, I mean, like uh, countries like Nigeria, Angola, uh, Libya, and uh, the Saudi and uh, all these Middle East, I mean, countries, they are like, I mean, like to some extent the US, I mean, like these are the people that I mean, are really smiling at this, I mean, prices uh, because they are the ones who are like gaining. Uh, they have got the means of uh, protecting their local, like, I mean, uh, producers because prices by by implication are subsidized because I mean they are much lower than what would be the prevailing international market prices. So this is probably what goes to the kind of long-term like um, suggestion or proposals that were tabled by Saoga. Once you reach a stage where you've got a, a, like quite I mean a, a large portion of for uh, your, your, your industry also has got access to local oil fields, then you probably can like 
um, if you are in a market that's regulated like ourselves, you can come with a mechanism that will allow you to do that. But in the short term to medium term, we don't have that opportunity. Uh, these prices are quoted, are quoted in the international market in dollar terms. And um, as much as the rent is so strong, we are not seeing the benefit because the prices are just running away. It's just it's nearly impossible. But Sabia, this Sabia, are the kind... Sabia, I have to stop you because my main worry is that, uh, yes, I get what you say, but if we're to follow those members that are, 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 have asked questions, it means you will take almost 30 minutes again. That's my only worry. Can we give them the others a chance so that they can also have a part. Please don't exceed 10 minutes. The point is simple now. We have to speak for ourselves because that's where we, we are. We feel the pinch. Yes, we acknowledge we need cooperation based on one, two, and three. I, I don't want us to make another presentation. So I was saying let's avoid to make another presentation. Oh, we, we want to find solutions here very quickly. Uh, because the situation out there is not waiting for us. Can I get who's for who's supposed to be following uh, Ari? Oh, uh, gotcha. Yes. There must Thank come you. Stick to the chat. If, you, if you exceed 10 minutes, unfortunately, I won't have uh, the space for that. No problem, Chair. Thank you very much for the opportunity to respond to the questions. Um, some general comments were made. Uh, 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 by, by, by all uh, honourable members who post questions. Uh, I'm going to deal with those first. And then the specific questions directed at me um, by uh, Honourable Millahan. So uh, on the general comments, um, yes, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the question or the theme uh, that, that, that triggered this uh, Portfolio Committee meeting is specifically about the alternatives and solutions that could be provided by industry to uh, the, the volatility uh, of, of fuel price uh, uh, in, in South Africa. Given that question, um, from a Saoga perspective, we attempted to answer that question in as much detail as possible, not only from our perspective as an oil and gas industry body, but within the broader context, and that's why we focused on the geopolitical context, the South African policy context, and then made a specific proposal on that. Uh, my apologies to you, Chair and Honourable Members, if that seemed too vague and uh, not detailed enough, too much of a generalisation, but we do not operate, at least our members, uh, almost 200 members, uh, 5,000 stakeholders, we do not operate outside of the broader context, although we have vested interests, commercial interests in the sector. We are responsible citizens. We want to see South Africa succeed and become both resource rich and energy rich, not resource rich and energy poor. We want to see affordable prices for energy, including a fuel at the pump um, and where fuel is used for electricity gener generation, then uh, affordable uh, electricity. But we made the point that 
there is a requirement uh, from Section 217 of the Constitution that doesn't only consider lease cost, but also risk and socioeconomic benefits to accrue. So in the broader context, we're trying to deal with the national interest by offering a solution. Uh, the solution proposed by Sir Ogre today is that we do, in the medium to long term, exploit our oil and gas resources, our indigenous oil and gas resources. But I did not only touch on the medium to long term. Uh, I mentioned as well that in the short term, LNG can be imported. And this is obviously part of a procurement process that has its own timeframes. But if there was no red tape, uh, it is possible to import LNG within a period of weeks if there was no red tape and no regulatory uh, 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 and, and legal framework constraints. The, the opportunity to fill uh, a vessel takes about 17 hours at an LNG export terminal. It can take up to 25 days to, for a voyage from an LNG export terminal to any of our nine commercial ports where that LNG can be transferred into storage and moved either after regasification or in containers, rail or road transport, to any consumers that would use it. I would estimate that if there was no red tape, we could have LNG deliveries to us within maximum a month and a half. I mentioned this earlier. I know I didn't uh, expand on it earlier, but that is a short-term solution that we have at our disposal. However, the solution is to deal with the long-term challenge of uh, fuel price hikes, uh, given the history of fuel price hikes and the fact that we are price takers and not price makers. To become price makers, we have to look at our indigenous oil and gas resources uh, connecting to the previous speaker's point that we have to otherwise import and we are therefore dependent on uh, exporters. If we can become producers, instead of importers, we will set the price and a portion of local production should be considered for set aside. Now, a specific task of the Portfolio Committee is that when it processes the Upstream Petroleum Resources Development Bill, it is proposed that the Portfolio Committee considers the proposal being made to include a provision in that legislation that would enable a set-aside of a portion of local production that could then be priced in local currency to avoid the risk of rand dollar exchange rate fluctuations. It would then also remove that portion of production from a, a global index price because that can be negotiated as part of the implementation of the future upstream Petroleum Resources Development Act. Uh, I want to then touch very quickly, Chair, on the specific uh, uh, question directed by um, Honorable Millerham to me which relates to the timing and volume of gas available. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I stick to the 
uh, assumption that three to five years is possible based on feedback from rights holders, upstream rights holders, that we have had the opportunity to communicate with, discuss their geological data that has been lodged with PASA and has been verified independently by verification agencies according to internationally accepted standards of verification. I mentioned that, that they cannot lie about the geological data because it is reviewed by third parties. So we believe what they claim to have in terms of volume, and we believe what they claim as the time frame to exploit those indigenous gas resources. On the volume in particular, PASA has the geological data, so they can attest to how much we actually have. Based on those individual upstream rights, all this that I've had the privilege of speaking to in confidence, uh, anonymize, uh, uh, I have to anonymize it. Collectively, we could be sitting on as much as 10 trillion cubic feet of indigenous gas. Not about oil, about gas. And that would equate to almost the whole coal fleet being transformed from coal to gas-fired power in South Africa. That would also leave enough gas to convert diesel and petrol internal combustion engines to become natural gas users as already being done in Gauteng with compressed national, uh, natural gas. I hope that answers the question, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much, Mr. Chair. Although we didn't have a specific question that was asked of us, I believe that the comments that were made by your committee were, were so critical that if you'll allow me just 30 seconds, I'd like to make a comment on, on, on some of those discussions. The, the industry is changing, and, and we see the, the, the oversight of this committee as one way where we can actually get somebody to assist us in balancing of these different agendas that were mentioned. Not only do we see the, this committee's oversight as, as balancing the agendas between the, the, the various uh, stakeholders and the various associations, but we also see it as, as an oversight committee for the department, where, where we could perhaps approach you for, for assistance if we ever needed that, that oversight between us and, and the department. The, the term was used that there, there was imminent danger, and I think it's in those areas that we're talking about some oversight when it comes to the department. I must support Sapir in the comment that says that there's no holy cows in this discussion. We, we will consider any option that's made to us. However, if we look at the spark we're talking about this morning and, and currently where the opportunity is to, to assist the motorists, we don't believe it's in, in our realm of decision-making that those, those issues around the spike. So just as a closing, Mr. Chair, we would welcome any discussion with your committee at any time going into the future at your convenience. Thank you very much for today. Okay. Next one. Thank you, um, Honorable Chair. Um, 
I think as the fuel retailers on you know um, association, we are on the end stick here. Um, we are on the ground. The motorists feel the impact of the high prices at a pump. And unfortunately, we collect all this money um, or most of it on behalf of other stakeholders. But because the public do not know all the value chain, they then assume that the fuel retailers have everything to benefit. And that is why our presentation sought to educate and to explain the entire value chain. And that is why I spoke of the 7% that is really all that is left for a fuel retailer. I do appreciate the sentiments raised by uh, the honorable members that it looks like this is a very self-centered approach. While it may look like that, the reality is that of course, we are all looking at our um, because there is there's a various parties in this value chain. And of course, I can only speak of the fuel retailing, which is the segment that is at the end of the value chain. Now, I would like to just respond to Honorable um, Malinga, who um, on, 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 on two, I think um, the first one um, she mentioned that we are speaking of 7%, but we are forgetting the shops. Firstly, that the, the, the discussion today is purely about the fuel side of things. And I would not want to deviate and uh, talk about shops because that in itself has its own um, uh, mechanisms. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would not like us to, to dwell in that. Yeah. Zed, um, Honorable Zed. Sorry, we've lost chair. He keeps on getting out of the meeting. Well, I'm here. I'm here. Yes, Honorable Malin. I pose the question. It's not about him coming and, and I'm raising a point of order that the, the, the person on the platform should answer my question. Not tell me that we are not dealing with shops. Today we are only dealing with petrol. It's a it's dealing with fuel. It's a question I pose to him. He must answer the question. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Look, um, um, is it um, those FRA names are still eh? FRA. the retailers? I know that is with the retailers. Look, I think the issue should be the 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 matter of uh, that's why I was saying sometimes when we want to explain many things, uh, I was trying to deal with it even when I stopped to appear. The answer should be. Look, if I if I were to talk on the matter of the what you call it of the shops, they are separate from 
and they have no bearing on the issue of fuel hikes. But if an opportunity is presented, we can present even the challenges that we have with the shops attached to the retail areas. I think for me, the point that will make things difficult is like, no, 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 let's not talk about that one. We came here to talk about the, the, the fuel price, not what then mitigates against it. The point is that we needed to catch what could be a mitigating exercise. Maybe the issue of the attachment of, of retails can be seen for, from a retail point of view can be seen as a relief exercise compared to, to, to just having them for the sake of having them. I think that's the context. So my, my take would be answer that question in as far as its impact or its relationship with the retailer, with the retail shop that exists. Yes, if then there is a need for more presentation on the actual day-to-day implications of it. That becomes a separate matter. But continue then, but I think you have to, to touch uh, what, what at a surface level, what is the difference? And why is it not related? Is it related? Uh, yes, I think that let me, let me leave it at that. Um, thank, thank you, uh, Honorable Chair. Um, just to, to answer at a very high level, the shops have absolutely no relationship with the fuel prices whatsoever. And um, as you would know, that some of the shops uh, in the service station environment now as we speak are franchised with uh, the major uh, retailers who have their own terms and conditions and the franchise fees it's a totally different um, structure altogether. And that is why I was trying to um, say to, you know, bring a point that if I were to go into that, I think we will deviate from the real discussion and uh, what solutions do we seek to come, uh, you know, to come to in as far as the, uh, the motorist is concerned. Um, and, and so if through you, Chair, um, I, would, I would like to rather focus on the fuel element of it. Uh, 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 what, what is the name? Let me check. Uh, uh, Mr. Mbata, don't make your work difficult. Yes. Don't make your work difficult. The, I, I want to help you so that next time when you go, the issue is it is the committee that will make that determination. Okay. You are not you are not deviating. Okay. You are you are responding to the 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 logic of uh, those retail shops in the retail um, uh, retail uh, 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 operations. Now, for me, it would be it will suffice. I don't want when people say no, no, no. It's only the chair that can say you are deviating or not. The point I was saying, I think it's enough when you say, no, they have got no direct relationship with the operations of the, 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 the retail. They are not even a cushion to the actual fuel price uh, in the operation. But 
we can give an explanation if given a platform in details on how they operate. That becomes different. So I'm, I'm trying to rest you because whether we, we are dealing with the basic fuel price, that's correct. But remember, we said they are what are the mitigative issues that we can consider against the fuel price. For instance, others would come, may come up up front and say, look, instead of uh, talking about the fuel price, consider looking at different, uh, a new type of uh, vehicles that you will have that will not require fuel. Doesn't mean that person is deviating to say, then must explain what are the advantages. Yes, it may at a surface level, but now we'll be talking about an electronic car, making an example, or a car that uses battery. What could be the limitations <clears throat> uh, if we were to go to this? So I'm trying to say, we are looking at the broader issues, but if the question is about, no, as far as I understand, we can explain deeper, but it will take time. The issue of the retail shops has got no material bearing as far as the basic fuel price is concerned, and that's it. But we can explain its operations, which is completely different from the operations as far as the fuel retail is concerned. But I get your point. Let's go, we can go to the next one so that we don't labor too much on a matter that uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, to me it's, it's quite straightforward. Let's go. We can, if you've got other points, let's deal with those other points. I think let me just wrap up. Uh, but thank you, thank you, Chair. Um, uh, but for 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 the interest of all uh, members, um, yes, the the shops are totally run differently and have no material bearing on the on the fuel price, and they are under a different franchise in most in most instant instances. But coming back to the issue now of the. Um, the the road accident fund that that I made uh, mention about, and I think also the honourable um, did miss the point around um, the example that I made. The just to clarify the point, we are saying there is currently a two rand eighteen cents that motorists have to pay that is directly. Um, uh, going to towards uh, the road accident fund. Our recommendation is scrap that methodology, that system of deriving it from the fuel price, but replace it with a an, an, an insurance that is a flat fee, totally delinked to the fuel price. What will be the impact of that? That will save a motorist about 109 rand per fill if we work on a 50 liter vehicle, right? So, um, and that, that will have a material impact on a motorist. If the, a motorist fills four times a month, you're looking at about um, a 400 um, four, plus 400 rand that a motorist can save immediately filling the positive impact of such um, a, a an intervention, so um, yeah, I think I think that that is that is my point. Um, but um, and and thank you, thank you for the opportunity, uh, Honourable Chair. You'll you'll bear with me, Honourable Members. I'm, mas I'm multitasking and multi. Uh, 
Uh, um, can we Babukola? It's still Sapra, Chief. It's still Sapra. No, thanks, oh. Chief. Oh, no, wait, wait. Uh, yes, can you go ahead? Yeah, at least I, it's nice I hear your voice that you are still alive. Thank, thank you, Chair. It's 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 Vishal from Sapra. Uh, just on a wrap up. Thank you for the criticism. Uh, I think it's well received and acknowledged. We we understand the nature of the criticism. That's that's okay. Uh, my colleagues, I think, have touched on the technical possibilities. You know where solutions may be may be found. Uh, a point that I want to stress, um, you know, is is the benchmarking exercise on developed economies and neighboring states. Uh, there may be opportunity in terms of research there to 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 identify further possibilities. But the last one, which to me is very important, and 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 we touched on it, maybe at a very sort of uh, uh, shallow level, is is the hype created around pricing and the period of pricing. And what that does in terms of the consumer eye, uh, which drives perception, uh, drives perception in the eye of industry, and that has an, a direct influence in terms of, uh, you know, the consumer goods basket. And and I think there is definitely a solution that lies in perhaps reducing or, or, or considering moving that the price price review period or price review adjustment period to quarterly instead of monthly. Uh, and perhaps really looking at the daily price schedule, which has a direct impact, uh, you know, with consumer bodies and media uh, uh, sort of taking and abusing it. Uh, and uh, I think that's it from us. Thank you very much. Okay, Honorable Kula. No, uh, thanks, Chapasin. Uh, Greetings to colleagues in the portfolio committee, the department is present, and all the presenters that have made presentations here. Uh, let me firstly chair begin by uh, directing questions to the Fuel Retailers Association. And I think one of the things that uh, stand out in their presentation, which I think they covered also in this. Yeah, which, which is a concern to me, is that in terms of the MIPCO report, is that the industry is approaching 4,000 retrenchments, Shepasi. And I raise this in light of the high unemployment in this country and the rising cost of living. So I, 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 I would want to hear from the association that what is it that can be done to avert this calamity? I mean, one of the things we greatly disencourage uh, is retrenchments, especially with this current economy uh, hardships that our people are facing. So I would want to know uh, what is it that can be done to avert uh, that particular uh, calamity. Uh, the second one is around the uh, uh, they are uh, transformation targets. And I hear that uh, there is a, they, they are targeting uh, that in the industry where we only have 5% of women, which is quite a concern to me. And I think we would need to improve 
on that chair. Uh, I think one of the things that they, they, they also engaged around when they were speaking in terms of the impact of transformation and the cost associated with running a, a retail that is between five to 10 million per service station. That, but they anticipate an increase in black ownership. And I would want to know, Chair, with that, how do they then plan to, what, what, how do they then advise that we deal with an element of funding? Because the reality is that it is very right in this sector, Jefferson. The issue of fronting here is very right. Eh? You'd find that uh, the, the, uh, the black people are, are just used as a smoke screen to color block as if there's transformation that is taking place when it's actually not there. So how do they advise that we deal with elements of, uh, of fronting, Jefferson? Then uh, my second question would be to, my third question would be to Mr. Morgan. I don't know, I was listening to Mr. Morgan. It was either on one TV channel or on one radio station. And this is what he had to say, Chaperson, that our major concern is not about the intention to review the fuel price. It's about the sustainability of the industry. If we don't have any product to sell, then the price is a moot point. So I want to know that uh, what are some of the key suggestions outside of the intention to review the fuel price that they would suggest as a way in which we must keep the industry afloat? So I don't think it's only it, it will only be centered around the fuel price. I want to know what are some of the suggestions that you want to canvas before this portfolio community? These are the things that we think need to be done so that we keep the industry afloat, Chairperson. The second, the second issue is that we also acknowledge, Mr. Morgan, that the pace of transformation in the liquid fuel space, in the liquid fuel value chain is low. And I must say, Chairperson, that the pace of transformation is generally slow. In, in many of our sectors, but it is quite, yeah, it is of quite a concern. So I want to know that what are some of the suggestions that uh, Mr. Uh, Morgan has uh, for us as a portfolio community? Say, look, this is how we think we must fast track uh, transformation in the, in the liquid value chain so that we get a lot of our people on board. Huh? And I think uh, the, there was an issue that they also raised around what they would term as alternatives. And uh, I agree with one of the agendas. I think so for some of these issues, we need a wider discussion, almost similar to this, where we can get all stakeholders on board to come and ventilate and say, these are, these are who, are, who are likely to deal with the issues. But of concern also to me, Chair, is that on the alternative says. If you are an import-reliant economy like ours, then the risk of geopolitical impact is much higher. And I would want to know, what is it that they suggest? Because it, to me, it is not easy to just complain about certain issues. It's to say, we think that as a country, this is what we ought to be doing. 
So that if we find ourselves in a position almost similar to this one, we are then able to rescue ourselves. And I would couple with, with this point with what they raised that without crude refining capacity, then we are even more at, at the mercy of global markets. Because I don't know, in, in one of the previous uh, pieces, we raised this issue that uh, we, we need to discourage uh, uh, the closure of refineries in this country. So I would well, to Honorable Kura, I don't want to, 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 to sound like I'm in touch. We are going there. That's why we said we are preparing the report. Now the committee will deliberate on the report. It will give its own to say this is what has to be done. We, we will agree or disagree there. For now, we are just uh, soliciting the views of others. So with regards to, to that part, it's coming. It's, uh, it can't be lost. Next, to be precise, next week, Tuesday, because before we go on recess by next week, we must have had submitted our report, finalized the report of the committee as far as what do you think has to be done with regards to this crisis that we are faced with. But uh, the rest, no, I, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a big issue. Can I give um, uh, only on this one, because time is also of essence, um, in the main that uh, they, they they can respond to if there's anything amongst all of you that have, that uh, on what uh, Honorable Kula has raised, uh, if you want, I won't give you more than um, five minutes, please. In fact, it's too much, three minutes, because it's only one person who was asking, who was, who was commenting. Um, <clears throat> Ari, you, you, I'm still learning. Um, Sapia, do you have anything to say on, on what Honorable Kula was saying? No, uh, thank you, Chair. I don't think uh, we've got any comments on what uh, Mr. Kula was saying. I think the question was specific, directed to to specific, I mean, uh, people. So they were not directed to Sabia. Thank you very much. Number two was Sawoka, isn't it? Correct, Chair. Yes. Any Chair? Chair, thank you very much. Uh, although the question wasn't directed at Saoga directly, um, and mostly to Mr. Morgan, um, I'd like to take the opportunity to respond to the, the key issue that's being raised, that uh, when fuel prices are high, it increases the input costs for various goods that are produced uh, for domestic markets and uh, export markets. It is a valid point, and uh, uh, you know the, the the way to to deal with that would be to become price makers and not price takers. And I want to reiterate that point that uh, even uh, in a, in another debate in the broader context of you know the role of oil and gas within a just energy transition, the argument was presented that, that uh, should South Africa not reduce its carbon footprint uh, and its products are then exported to the European Union. It would therefore face carbon uh, uh, border uh, tax and, and, and that would then prevent 
South African goods from being exported there. The reality has now hit home in Europe. They have now redefined their definition of sustainable energy to now not only include renewable energy, but also gas besides nuclear. So I hope that addresses the, the, the key issue that uh, Honorable Kula is asking, although it wasn't directed at. Uh, so, okay, thank you. The next one, if there is a comment that you wish to make. Wholesalers Association, Chef. Yes. Thank you, Thank you very much, Mr. Chair, for the opportunity. Uh, very quickly, the comment I made on, on the radio about the, the price of fuel being moot was, was actually to give the message that says, you know, there, there are price spikes and there are long-term concerns. And, and there's a difference in, in the way these two need to be addressed. The, a price spike can have a short and sharp solution, but, but the long-term sustainability is, is of critical importance to us because the, the long-term sustainability of, of the industry, and in particular, I'm talking about independent wholesalers, actually goes into the whole area of, of transformation. You know, if, if the industry is attractive enough, we'll, we will be able to attract the, the, the right people into the industry. And just very briefly, uh, <clears throat> when we talk about if we don't have uh, refiners, then we're at more risk. We are fully supporting the minister's comment that what, what we need in, in South Africa is an upstream industry ourselves in, in the future, because that's the way of addressing and, and being able to buffer some of the, the geopolitical concerns and the geopolitical uh, instances that happen around us. Thank you for the opportunity, Mr. Chair. Next. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, from the FRA, there were questions that were posed directly at us. Um, I will just take one uh, section of the of the question, and I will allow my president, Mr. Matswane, um, to take the retrenchment um, uh, question. So, um, Honorable uh, Kula um, raised concerns around the transformation targets, and uh, and what is FRA? doing um, in, as, in, in ensuring that there is no fronting um, uh, in, the, in the sector. I would like to just uh, <clears throat> um, highlight that the FRA is not uh, the primary enabler of transformation, but there are two key drivers or key players when it comes to the enablement of a transformation in the sector, and that is the oil companies as well as the DMRE. The oil companies um, uh, are basically the ones to issue um, the franchise agreements to suitable um, uh, candidates that qualify according to the criteria that they set. And the second player here is the DMRE through licensing. Now, 
it is at this point where issues of um, fronting can be addressed because as part of the requirements for the DMRE is in ensuring the ownership of the business. Um, and there is a whole lot of um, due diligence that uh, would lie within the DMRE to, to ensure that uh, issues of fronting um, are addressed. So I think um, maybe my, my response would end there to say that uh, the FRA uh, basically uh, does not play in that space at all. Can I just invite uh, through you, Mr. Chair, uh, if I could please invite uh, Mr. Mike Motswane, uh, the president of the Fuel Retailers Association, who also sits in the board uh, with uh, MIPCO to um, come on the line and perhaps give some uh, response to, to the members. Um, Mr. Motswane. Thank you, Mr. Mbata. Good afternoon. Uh chairperson and your team and uh, good afternoon to all the stakeholders and colleagues chairperson uh, my point here is very easy is about answering the retrenchment part of our industry is an answer at the same time is a concern i will start with the concern part of it the concern part of it starts with uh, one person to lose a job to us as retailers and employers is actually too much because immediately three to four mouths are without bread. And then uh, when it gets to a point of the number which was raised by my colleague, Mr. Mbata, is quite really a concern. Your God, because as he has mentioned that I sit at uh, MIPCO, I'm not directly in MIPCO, I'm actually at MIFA part of it, that is where the administration, where the pension funds are being paid and everything. In October, Mr. Chairperson, we had a, rock, a, a record month, which was also an unfortunate one, whereby just under 4,000 in one month, just under 4,000 paid pensions were paid out to the applicants who have lost their jobs. I'm just talking about October months. So when the CEO of MIPCO, MIFA was actually taking us through, it was a shock to all of us. Because this, remember, it has happened through COVID. And even before COVID, we were under-recovering already by that 12 cents, let alone the credit card part of it. And now when you look at this whole thing, obviously, it's creating a situation where our members and us as retailers, when there was some businesses were assisted and all that, we never got assistance even from some oil companies. We never got assistance even from the government part of uh, at the level of the controller. The businesses dropped by 80%, some of them, and which is still a battle for them to get back to normal. So now when you look at the drop in the volume, my main worry is if at all we get to a point of creating an impact for the profitability of the fuel retailer based on what was heard in the media, it will be like the last nail in the coffin for this industry. And my worry is you look at that 80,000 employees plus 
who are in this sector, what will happen to them. So now the retrenchment part of it, we got it from MIPCO purely because they are the ones who are, who are at all times taking information when it comes to uh, you have lost your job, you apply for your pension. So uh, that's where we get all those because uh, at the end of the day, we are more worried about unemployment. Thank you, Mr. Chen. Is the next one that I'm leaving out, Ari? Aparate. Oh. Um, yeah, thank you. I don't think there were any questions directed uh, to SAPRA. Uh, we're comfortable with all of the submissions made by our colleague. Thank you very much. Mr. Primlan. Yes, Chair. Hey, your picture looks there some other way, but it's okay. As someone who, 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 who would you think uh, if it's not you in that picture? But uh, let's leave it for today. It is me, guaranteed. Thank you, Chair. <laughs> you must never go to the East. This picture can't make you safe. Okay. Uh, honorable members, being the case as it may, I think uh, we have received the, the presentations. Um, I'm not going to, to give you a chance to, to come back, but uh, thank you very much to, to your presentations. Um, one of the good things is that uh, when you try to find solutions, um, it's important that we apply some degree of patience, but also we continue to recognize each other as people who are sitting in the same um, boat. Uh, what I've got no regrets is the fact that we have invited almost all those that we think can assist us in shaping an intervention plan on the on the on the situation that we are faced with. Like I said to when I started, it's not something that we are starting it now. It's not informed mainly about the new developments. This thing has been there over a period of time. And um, before, before now, when you are told about new developments, about, and I'm not saying they don't exist, that's a, that, that would be irresponsible of anyone to say you, they won't have implications. But uh, there has been other justifications why, um, for an example, why uh, we have to look at the issue of the fuel price hikes um, and I think we, we need to have a deep thinking. For an example, when you look at uh, the general minerals beneath the soil, we are one of the countries that uh, are very strategic, but we are nowhere where we do price determination. And um, I would have loved, as people who are trading, some of you are trading beyond the borders of South Africa, uh, case experiences, for an example, uh, because we have got quite a substantial number of oil-producing countries in the African continent. But the issue of the global uh, market, the global price determination, 
it becomes a, a, a challenge because it's not where you buy or it's where you get it. It, it is, it is uh, determined by those uh, particular countries. So, so I would have, let me say here, yeah, I would have uh, 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 got a little bit of um, excitement more than now if we have got received, because there is a strong argument that the mere fact that you've got Angola, um, uh, Nigeria, Ghana, and others, uh, the Sudanese, Sudanese area, all those are not mitigating. Um, they are not doing any mitigation. But being the case as this may, uh, we, we really appreciate. Yes, I must acknowledge the fact that um, the presentation were quite territorial. Uh, one would say you can fly as far as the area that you you know and you have been. If you build a nest, sometimes we will never know what happens in, on those who are underground because by by survival you are on the upper part of the of of the living space. But uh, as you have said, um, there are things that I think for me we'll need even ourselves to take into consideration and as we move forward. For an example, the text-based uh, issues, they seem to be a matter that is cutting across uh, in some of the presentation, including the issues that relate to the storage charges and the distribution, um, the issues that uh, relate to 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 the road accident fund. I I must say at times, uh, in in some of the responses that you have given, you had given as if rough only is because it's a, I'll call it a side tax. My view is that rough becomes um, one of the most problematic areas we have to look at. Because unlike any other challenge that we are having, if you take it away, it has got no uh, spin-over effects. But when you look at uh, the, the, the other taxes that relate to, to RAF in, in particular, the spin-off are quite dear, are quite uh, severe, including on the, uh, the economic challenges. And I think that's where the matter of the fuel, also the fuel prices, is is a big issue. Is the fact that uh, with regards to the issue of the the fuel prices, its implication goes beyond what we see. Uh, it has got implications as far as uh, the food prices are concerned, because generally everyone will pass over. The, the 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 impact of the of 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 the prices to the next one, up until to the actual person uh, who feels the pinch, and and in that direction, uh, I think we have to think deeper, honourable members, provide solutions both in the short term and in the in the long term, and be able to to justify our views or positions why we think. That this uh, this these these steps needs to be taken. Lastly, on this matter, I want to urge all of us honourable members. I always say, none of us possesses natural wisdom. 
we are patriots and let's be patriotic. Let's provide every information and make it a point that we contribute so that uh, I don't like a situation where I think that uh, I must keep information, raise it at particular uh, 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 intervals. We urge all of us, when we come and meet on Tuesday, let's put everything because if that matter is not raised in that committee and when we have not considered it, it actually means all of us would not have been um, uh, more knowledgeable on that aspect. And therefore, if we raise it after, it may not have the impact it is intended to have. So all that I'm requesting is that let's, because next week is either make or break. We, we can't continuously talk about something. We must know where we stand. And if we are being asked, Yes, this is where we stand. If we want to take political views, we must take political views that, for me, in as much as that thing is agreed, uh, we, 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 at least there must be a point where we say, this is what we think has to be done, and uh, we think this is how it should be done. If it means then let's um, uh, have those differences. Let it be, rather than to, to have a perpetual uh, engagement. To all of you, uh, we take yourselves very seriously with your presentations. Thank you very much. Uh, and to committee members, are we doing minutes today, Ari? No, on, on, on Tuesday. On Tuesday. On Tuesday. Uh, yes, that's what I was thinking. Honorable members, thank you very much also with your patience. We had to readjust some of these things because there are matters. Uh, this is what for me I call it a matter of national interest and it calls upon us because it falls squarely on our doorstep um, on that note I think um, for me I would say the primary focus first will be how do we mitigate against the actual pricing of fuel what are the other then the other alternatives that we can look at let's consider them as we move forward but for now Every person who stands up hears that uh, uh, petrol price or fuel price will be increasing with so much at the, uh, on this date. Uh, I even now know it's every Wednesday or break of a Tuesday and Wednesday of the first uh, of the of the of the of the month. I've had uh, the, there is an argument about. Uh, how must we do the calculation? I think it's a matter that we will take into consideration also. On that note, thank you very much, uh, all of you, including my dear honorable members for sacrificing your Friday. Uh, the meeting now stands adjourned until we meet next week, Tuesday. Thank you very much. Recording stopped. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Mama Linga. Thank you. Next time is the whole week. It's the from nine to five Friday. As a sally, as sally, my nigga, say, I'm as soon as we should just tell us, son.